Welcome to the Mile High Flight Show, where a Jets fan and a Broncos fan get together to talk about the NFL and other sports. I'm your host, Ryan Marinholtz, joined as always by my wonderful co-host, Enrique Cisneros, and let's jump right into this. How you doing today, Enrique? I'm good, Ryan. How are you, bro? I'm doing fantastic. I cannot wait to get in today's episode. I feel like I say that every week, but I'm legitimately pumped today. we got some uh, cool stuff to talk about. Uh, so on the slate for today, NFL news as always, and then we'll finish up the AFC South and our team breakdowns uh, going over both the Indianapolis Colts and then the Tennessee Titans. And then we'll top it off with another update on the NBA playoffs going into the conference finals. And then uh, so to kick off the show, before we get into all of that, uh, we wanted to start a new segment uh, going forward here on the show um, with weekly questions. And uh, you guys can follow us on our social media. Um, I'll share those handles a little bit later here, but uh, throughout every week, we're going to post a few questions uh, about what's going on in the league and uh, things like that. And then we'll go ahead and uh, post the results or post the results, but talk about the results on uh, the podcast at the end of the week. So uh, to start off here, our first question, does Russell Wilson and the Broncos get a W in Russ's return to Seattle in week one? And uh, so on the Twitter poll, uh, they voted the Broncos. What do we think, Enrique? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's I, – I, I think it's pretty overwhelming that the Broncos should get a lot of the popular vote. Um, you know, obviously their quarterback situation is literally the opposite of Seattle's now um, because of Seattle. So, yeah, I think the Broncos look real good to uh, to take the dub in the uh, in the opener. Yeah, man. And I mean, being a Broncos fan, obviously, I agree with that. Um, but at the same time, like, it would be a crazy storyline for Drew Locke, if he's the starter, uh, to come out week one and get a win against the new form Denver Broncos with Russell Wilson. I mean, that would be I, I think Denver might burn down, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah, I don't know how Broncos fans would deal with that. I, I think like. Yeah, I mean, if you're like a new Bron, I mean, because like, if I'm being honest with you, I kind of feel like, you know, there's a little, and I, I don't want to say it because I don't want to upset too many Bronco fans. Uh, I feel like there's a little bit of a bandwagon starting to form on the Broncos yeah. right now, you know. And I know that I know that you're a diehard. I definitely have some diehards in my family, like my dad. Um, and so, you know, I I I definitely understand when the Broncos start getting good. Yeah, they're an easy team to like, you know, and then even more so now they have, you know, a great, like just a great dude as a quarterback. So they're even easier to like now. Um, so, yeah, I'm just starting to feel that bandwagon starting to come on a little bit. Uh, I absolutely agree. And it's kind of a weird feeling because we haven't felt that since uh, Peyton Manning was here. And, uh, you know, you go through five or six years of like, basically everyone just crapping on you because they expect you to be bad and they're crapping on the QB situation and all that. Um, and now there's people that I've never seen talk about the Broncos talking about the Broncos and, uh, you know, expressing excitement, which is, you know, it's cool to see your team talked about positively, but at the same time, like you said, it's uh, a lot of that bandwagon going on. And, um, but yeah, I mean, we'll see once the season starts. And I think that that is going to be a really fun week one matchup. Um, and then our, for our second question, we asked, what rookie are you most excited to see play? Um, and then on the Twitter poll, they gave us four options. So we went ahead and did uh, Sauce Gardner, cornerback from the Jets, Greg Dulcich, tight end from the Broncos, Garrett Wilson, a wide receiver from the Jets, 
Uh, and then on the fourth option was other, and you could put it in the comments. And out of those four, Greg Dulcich win, uh, wins that. Um, so, you know, I, I do think for me, even personally as a Broncos fan, I would go like, to be honest with you, Sauce Gardner, because I really want to see just how good he is. And I think he could be a star like pretty quickly. Um, but I mean, I'm certainly not going to complain about uh, Dulcich winning that. And uh, I'm excited for him, too. And I hope that he can make a starting impact here pretty soon. Yeah, I mean, honestly, there's I haven't been and, you know, partially it's because I was able to, you know, do this draft breakdown with you and see where the guys go with you. And um, it's just been real crazy how many rookies I actually want to see play coming right, because usually I'm a little bit biased. And I just want to see the Jets rookies play um, or even like the Broncos rookies play because, you know, I want them to do good as well. Uh, but I want so many rookies to see. Uh, play right away like uh, Aiden Hutchinson uh, I want to see how good he is in the pros uh, Jameson Williams hopefully he's able to you know start uh, right at the beginning of the league uh, year you know uh, coming back from that injury um, but then yeah obviously the Jets have three first round picks that are all you know on track to play um, barring any, any injury um, I'm honestly of the three uh, first round picks that the Jets have I'm uh, most excited to see Jermaine Johnson um, yeah. And that's partly because I really do think that Robert Sala can unleash him in a very destructive way alongside Carl Lawson and Quentin Williams all on the defensive line. Um, and I just I really do believe in the guy's uh, work ethic and just, you know, hearing where his background is and, you know, how he played at Georgia. And he was, you know, he was pretty good at Georgia. He, you know, obviously he really blossomed at Florida State, but. I think with Garrett Wilson and uh, Sauce Gardner, you know, there's going to be like a pretty immediate or people are thinking there's going to be a pretty immediate impact just because of who those guys are. Um, but, you know, Jermaine Johnson dropped a little bit. So I'm, I'm really excited to see, you know, how that chip on his shoulder plays and, you know, really just how violent he comes out um, the first couple of weeks of the NFL season and how the Jets use him mostly. So, but also shout out, uh, Greg Dolchers, because I, if, I mean, obviously I'm a little biased, but like Garrett Wilson and Sauce Gardner, are obviously the two higher draft picks. And like, you know, those are two sexy positions. Tight ends are not necessarily a sexy position and he still won the, the poll results. So I'll, I'll give him credit where credit's due for sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, and I, I definitely agree with you there on multiple levels. Uh, first of all, with Jermaine Johnson, I think that that's a really good pick. Uh, if you're talking about uh, rookies you want to see play, um, kind of like you mentioned, is just because uh, some of these other guys, you talk about the first rounders, uh, they don't have as many questions necessarily. And, you know, obviously none of these guys are like sure quantities until they actually play and then we see what they are. Um, but like you said, with Jermaine Johnson is uh, – he fell a little bit. And so there are some questions of, well, so some of these teams didn't believe in him. They passed on him. Um, you know, now, like you said, he has that chip on his shoulder. Maybe he comes out even harder. Um, and there's a little bit of that storyline there. So I, I totally agree with that point. Um, and then, yeah, it is kind of funny that Dulcich, the second round pick uh, gets picked over uh, the two first round picks, but I guess kind of the same thing uh, goes there is there's more questions and, uh, you know, you think Dulcich could turn into something, uh, but he's not necessarily like uh, already, uh, you know what he is. And you're like, you know, one of these first round picks that 
everybody's covered to death. And uh, obviously we're still excited to see those guys, but I think we have a, a pretty good grasp on what kind of players they're probably going to be. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm excited for all those guys. Uh, can't wait to see all these draft picks on their new teams. And uh, yeah, this year is going to be fun for a multitude of reasons, but that's one of them. Uh, and then, so our third question, which team has had the best offseason so far? Um, this is another question where you can go with a lot of different answers, uh, but obviously Twitter allows you to do four options. So we picked the Broncos and the Jets, obviously, and then the Chargers as well. I think they had a super strong offseason and uh, then other could be put in the comments. Um, and out of those four, uh, Broncos wins that poll. Um, you know, I get, between the three of those teams, honestly, I'd be hard-pressed to choose one. I think the Chargers have added a lot of star power in places that they needed the star power um, and filled a lot of the holes and questions that that roster had. Uh, obviously, when you talk about the Broncos, you know, pretty much one move, you go from uh, another probably – you know, six to maybe eight win season um, to uh, potentially contending with just Russell Wilson coming in. And then with the Jets, you have them solidifying and adding a few big core pieces, as well as a lot of different depth and uh, players that could turn into great starters um, and had a really good draft and uh, some pieces in free agency as well. Like, you know, there's a lot to love with all three of those teams as well as some uh, others, but um, yeah, at least in the poll here, the Broncos take it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the Broncos deserve to take it too because, um, you know, obviously as being a Jets fan, it's really easy for me to say that the Jets had the best offseason. Um, and we had a really, really good one. Can't deny that. The Chargers did as well. Um, but, but I think there's still obvious questions. And there's questions with the Broncos as well, but I feel like there's less questions with the Broncos. I feel like, you know, we got to obviously see how all that star uh, talent that was added to the Chargers, how that all kind of develops and uh, meshes together. You know, J.C. Jackson, in my opinion, I think he's a very great uh, young cornerback. I think he's going to do well in the league. Obviously, he's done very well for himself already. Um, you know, an interception monster, J.C. Jackson is. And him going to the Chargers is very nice. Khalil Mack joining uh, Joey Bosa on that defensive line is a scary pass rushing tandem. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, like you said about the Jets, adding those core pieces to an all, already developing roster. Uh, but yeah, with Russell Wilson getting added to the Denver Broncos, you guys become a Super Bowl contender, you know, and, you know, we all know that we're doing this for the bowl. You know, we're not doing this to be a, a contending team. We're not doing this to be, you know, the second best team in the AFC West. You, you want to be the best team out of the 32 teams in the league. And, you know, by mm -hmm. adding Russell Wilson, Broncos uh, get joined into that automatically. Um, you know, especially with the – like I was really thinking about it because, you know, my dad's birthday is coming up uh, pretty soon. And, you know, usually for um, my dad's birthday and for my birthday we – do uh, like a Jersey thing, you know, I'll get him a Jersey that he wants and he gets me a Jersey that I want. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to think of, you know, like, cause he, he already said, you know, he wants the Russ Jersey. Um, but I'm like, there's just so many Bronco players to choose from. And uh, the first one that I thought of was uh, Patrick Sertan because he's just yeah. a lockdown corner in his first, first season. And like, that's really, uh, and I, the reason I bring up Sertan is because that's what helped the Jets get to, the AFC championship when, you know, we were good back in the day. 
um, you know, was having a, a lockdown corner like Darrell Revis. And, you know, we did that with Mark Sanchez as our quarterback. So having a lockdown corner like Sertan and having Russell Wilson as your quarterback, you know, with the other pieces that you guys have, really do think like the Broncos really do deserve to have that, that Twitter poll award because, yeah, you guys really knocked it out of the park. Plus the trade was good, dude. Like it wasn't a bad trade. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And uh, I agree with all the points you brought up. I do think like cornerback is, you know, when you talk about the most important positions on the field, I think for me, you talk about quarterback, uh, number one, obviously, but then the trenches, offensive and defensive line, um, it, it all starts from there. And then behind that, I mean, for me, you know, there's a few uh, positions you can talk about. I think in today's game, wide receiver, you can, that's in the argument somewhere. Uh, but for me, behind those positions there, cornerback is the like one of the biggest positions. Um, and if you can have a lockdown guy there, uh, that can really change the fortune of a team. I mean, the only thing better than having a good quarterback is uh, being able to stop him at least a little bit and lock down one of his weapons. And um, so, yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, harkens back to Darrell Revis and uh, Darrell, or what is it, Revis Island days? And yeah, yeah Revis I mean, Island. Yeah, love it. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, so for our fourth question here, uh, related to what we're going over with the team breakdowns here, we have which team wins the AFC South? Um, and the poll winner there is the Colts. And I mean, personally, I would say I have to agree with that. Um, I think, and we'll go into this more, obviously, Enrique is going to cover the Colts. I'm going to cover the Titans. But uh, for me, especially after going over the Titans, uh, they're not necessarily quite as strong as even I was thinking. Um, and so I really do view the Colts as the best team in this division. Absolutely. I think for me, Matt Ryan just puts it over the top. They were already really yeah. strong. Um you know, when we were just wondering what their quarterback option was going to be, um, especially after getting rid of uh, Carson Wentz and thinking about it, they didn't give a fuck, dude. They just straight traded Carson Wentz after one year. It's hilarious. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the minute they got Matt Ryan, I was like, oh yeah, this, because you just got to add up like who's better, Ryan Tannehill or Matt Ryan? Which one would you rather have? Yeah. Give me Matty Ice, son. Like, right. you know me? So yeah, the Colts. Uh, and obviously, I mean, when you told me I couldn't cover the Colts, I was like, yeah, that's a no-brainer. I'll definitely cover the Colts because it's easy to talk about the Colts, man. Like, I, I love doing, um, you know, and we were talking about it. Um, my notes on the Colts were extensive because I love covering them, and they have a feel-good team. Uh, I love Pat McAfee as well, so, you know, you kind of root for the Colts a little bit. Um, but, yeah, it was great. So, yeah, no-brainer for me as well. I think the Colts, uh, Colts did it. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. And uh, yeah, you killed those notes. I can't wait to get that uh, get to that later in the show here. And um, yeah, I mean, I like you said, I just think that the Colts have the most talented roster. Uh, when you're talking about the quarterback, they win out there easy. It's not even really a competition. Um, so yeah, I think that that's really going to be what puts them above there. Um, and then so that's going to do it for our weekly questions today. Um, but we wanted to just uh, uh, shout out our uh, accounts here and uh, have you guys go over there and interact with those. And uh, the more comments we get as well, we can feature those on the show. So uh, if you want to get your opinion on the show about uh, one of the questions that we ask, uh, go over to those accounts and uh, comment there. Uh, so for our Twitter, uh, it is at MHFS podcast. 
for our Instagram. It is at Mile High Flight Show. And then we also have a YouTube and TikTok, both Mile High Flight Show. Um, and then thanks to Enrique for uh, this idea for these weekly questions. I absolutely love this idea. I hope you guys love it as well. Um, and I think it's going to be a fun way for us to uh, interact with you guys a little bit and get your opinions. All right. And then for our next section, let's get into the NFL news. So uh, we wanted to start off uh, with a bit of a somber story here. Uh, Buffalo Bills raising money and supporting the community and the families of the Buffalo shooting victims. And uh, there's belief that the shooting was racially motivated. And we'd like to take the time to recognize the loss of life and make a statement real quick. So Mile High Flight Show does not condone racism or discrimination. And we believe that no human is lesser than another. We ask that if you do hold discriminatory, discriminatory beliefs that you reflect on why you have those feelings and whether that they're based in truth or stem from biases. Uh, so, you know, just wanted to make that statement real quick. And uh, with that, we'll go ahead and move on to our next story here. A uh, little bit on less of a somber note, uh, former NFL player now, Frank Gore, wins his pro boxing debut against Yaya Oloronsola with a knockout. And uh, I don't know if you saw this video, Enrique, but uh, he was absolutely out cold. It was a really cool knockout and always love to see my guy Frank Gore win. Yeah, I um, I actually saw it. And yeah, dude, I didn't know Frank Gore was like actually boxing like that. And then two, I didn't know Frank Gore had the power to be knocking people out like that. He put that dude out, man. So yeah, um, yeah Frank Gore is a Hall of Famer, you know, third all-time rushing and when you think of how many great running backs there have been in the NFL, to have Frank Gore third all-time rushing is just crazy. So um, not only is he a banger on the football field, but yeah, he's a he's an absolute knockout artist outside of it too. So yeah, I guess uh, Frank Gore is gonna bring back boxing almost. The shit's crazy. Yeah, no, he's just going to become the next boxing star, like, after being in the NFL for 25 years. <laughs> like, right. But, yeah, I mean, good for my dude. I, I didn't know that he was, like, until I saw the headline, I didn't really know he was doing this either. But, I mean, yeah, good for him. And we'll see uh, what kind of career he can put up, uh, depending on how serious he wants to get with that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, for our next story here, Back to football, uh, Packers agreed to a four-year, $84 million extension with Jair Alexander, uh, obviously well-deserved. One of, if not the best cornerback in the league right now. I don't think that that's a stretch to say. And um, yeah, I mean, a very important piece, if not the most important piece to that Packers defense uh, and locking him down for the long term. Absolutely. Yeah, the Packers were really, really missing him when he was um... – when he was out that extended a period of time last year, um, yeah. it, it was just, it was very obvious um, that they needed him. And, you know, actually low key, they uh, ended up signing that dude from Arizona and he became a star for them at cornerback too, because Jair Alexander went down. Um, so yeah, Packers had to lock this guy down a much, much deserved bag, you know, and every single time someone gets a bag, we're just happy they got the bag because, those guys deserve it, man. I mean, you know, they really go out there and put it all, all on the line. And yeah, your Alexander is definitely a guy like that too. Um, and exactly, not a stretch. He's definitely, definitely top five corner in the league. Um, I would even say top three. You know, obviously you got to say like Jalen Ramsey's up there, but he's. And I say Jalen Ramsey's up there, and I would probably put Jalen like 
at like four, but all those guys are just so good. It's hard to, it's more, more so like who you prefer to be right. the number one. Yeah. Alexander is great. And it's just, it's crazy to me every single time, like Denzel Ward just got that giant um, contract extension with Cleveland. And then I was like, damn, that's a lot of money. Like, I, I don't know. It's going to be crazy to see anyone beat that. Alexander comes in and beats that. And it's just like, it's crazy to me that these agents can really pull off. And even though it's just a slight increase over Denzel Ward, it just is an increase. And it just, it's crazy to me every single time they just raise the bar with the next guy that gets signed you now. Yeah, absolutely. And it will. And it's kind of one of those things where uh, I feel like, Obviously, uh, when you talk about the player empowerment era, like in the context of the NBA, there's way more power for the players in that league than there is in the NFL. But I do kind of think that we're in that era for the NFL right now. And um, that's something that those guys kind of have a little bit of leverage on when they're that good is, uh, you know, you have a little bit of leverage to say, well, you know, here's my stats. I've been better than this guy who's the most paid. Uh how are you not going to make me the most paid? And if you're not, I'm going to go somewhere else where they will. Um, so I do think, uh, you know, Jair Alexander deserves that um, and to be the uh, highest paid currently. Um, I think that he is better than Denzel Ward in my honest opinion. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you don't really have an argument not to pay him that if you're the Packers. Um, but yeah, I mean, a good uh, move for the Packers kind of needed to happen and they got it done. Um, and then for our next story here, Melvin Ingram signing with the Miami Dolphins on a one-year $5 million deal. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is a solid move for them. Uh, you know, they obviously needed some edge. Melvin Ingram is a solid veteran um, who's bounced around a little bit the last few years um, trying to find a good fit. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be a solid place for him. I think this is going to be one of the more underrated moves of the offseason that we talk about really paying uh, dividends later on in the season, just because I, I feel like Melvin Ingram really still has a lot to offer in the NFL. And obviously he spent the last couple of years with the chiefs. Um, and then before that, you know, he was with the chargers, but you know, I, I really do think that Miami's a nice fit for him and their defense is so stingy already um, that, yeah, he just comes in and adds a nice presence on the edge and yeah, I mean, one year, $5 million deal. You can't beat that, especially when you're paying all that money for Tyree kill. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a value contract for a solid veteran presence. Who's going to get you some sacks and uh, going to get you some pressures. And uh, like you said, they're a, a little bit, uh, you know, working against the cap with some of those bigger contracts, including Tyree kill. So um, yeah, any value you can get there is greatly appreciated. And, uh, then our next move, one that you're going to cover uh, more when you get to the Colts as well, um, but I just wanted to throw it out there since he's a former Bronco, uh, Philip Lindsay signing a one-year deal with the Indianapolis Colts. And uh, yeah, I mean, in my opinion, this is a really, really solid spot for him. I think that Philip Lindsay is uh, the type of runner that really does kind of rely on having a solid offensive line to make some space for him. Um, but if he can get to that extra gear, have enough space to get through the line of scrimmage and, um, you know, have his line help him out a little bit, he can, uh, you know, get above average yard per carry and um, be a solid back. Maybe not a starter, uh, but certainly uh, a contributor. And I think that that's all he's going to be asked to do with the Colts. 
Absolutely. And I mean, I'll, I'll always share any Philip Lindsay, Philip Lindsay news. I mean, the dude's a Denver legend. He went to, you know, Denver South high school. Like, yeah. you know, that's, that's, you know, kid from the hood that, you know, made it out. And like, that's, he played for the Broncos even more. So like he played, you know, at the place we drive by, I live right next to the stadium practically. So it's one of those things that, yeah, anytime Philip Lindsay wins, Denver wins. And I'm cool with that. But yeah, uh, exactly like you said, you know, he's going to fit right in with the Colts, give him another option, um, you know, and give Jonathan Taylor a little bit of break, you know, even though, um, I mean, JT is the man, uh, you know, him and Derrick Henry are, you know, arguably the top two running backs in the league. It's up to you where you want to put them. Um, but yeah, so anytime that the Colts can add a nice versatile weapon like Philip Lindsay, I think it's a great idea. They did that, and it's nice to see Philip Lindsay stay in the league too. That's that's the other thing is when you have like a little fandom for a guy, you just want him to stay on the league. You just want him to stay on a team, get some playing time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agreed. Um, yeah, I really honestly thought that like because he's been on a few teams now that uh, went to the Texans and then the Dolphins, and uh, I'm not sure if there was another spot uh, in between there that he was there for a short time or not, but. Um, yeah, just tr- trying to find a spot. And I genuinely thought that had he signed to uh, another team that didn't really fit him, he didn't do so well there, uh, that really kind of might might have been the nail in the coffin. Um, so I'm even more glad that he lands with the Colts, uh, like we were talking about, uh, a good spot for him where he's going to get help from his offensive line um, and is not going to be asked to do too much. Uh, and so if he can... Uh, show out there and become a, a solid contributor at a low price um, in that, uh, you know, really good run back or running back room. Um, yeah. I mean, just really love that move on, on multiple levels. Um, and then for our next story here, bears running back to Cohen for his Achilles in training. This is just devastating. Uh, Tariq Cohen, a guy who's been through a lot, uh, been through a lot of injuries uh, in the last couple of years as well. And just, fighting to come back onto the field. Uh, and yeah, I mean, Achilles tear is uh, never something you want to see, especially for a veteran that's battled to get back as, as hard as he has. And, um, you know, almost making it to training camp, almost getting there to get back on the field and then another huge setback. Yeah. My first got to that uh, young man for sure. Cause yeah, he was already dealing with an ACL tear, I believe, uh, back from 2020. He was just coming back from that. Um, and so, yeah, and I mean, these are these guys' dreams, and even more so, this is their health, this is their bodies. They have to live with this stuff outside of football as well, um, you know, and so, yeah, you know, thoughts and prayers go out to him. Uh, hopefully he keeps his head up and, you know, uh, just what doesn't kill him makes you stronger, dog. So you just got to get through it and uh, definitely rooting for him to get back on the field uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, man, absolutely. Um, And then so for our final story here, we have cornerback James Bradbury signing with the Philadelphia Eagles on a one-year $10 million deal. Um, And yeah, I mean, this is a move that I don't know that I necessarily expected the Eagles to be the one to get him. However, I really like that uh, that is where he landed, uh, purely for the reason that the biggest uh, rumored spot for James Bradbury was going to be the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, and I think that cornerback is one of the uh, biggest holes on their roster that is left. 
and that would have been a really great signing for him. Uh, but instead, he goes up, uh, to, to Philadelphia with the Eagles, and he's going to pair with Darius Slay, who uh, desperately needs some help, which I think we even talked about when we were doing our draft preview on the Eagles. Is uh, We talk about Darius Slay over there in Philadelphia, and he's been uh, really solid, but you know, you hear some people talk about maybe he doesn't uh, like reach what they thought that he was going to be. But a big reason for that is that he's been surrounded by not enough help on that uh, defensive back room. Um, and so he's been kind of trying to overcompensate. And uh, yeah, I mean, nobody's going to be their best when they're surrounded by, uh, yeah, I would almost say subpar talent, but just not stars to help him. Um, but that's what James Bradbury is. So a good signing there. Uh, and I cannot stress this enough when I say that we really have to watch out for the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. If Jalen Hurts is as good as he was, or if he makes any sort of progress uh, towards becoming better, and I'm I'm a huge believer and a huge supporter of Jalen Hurts, so I think he's going to do great. Um, we have to watch the Eagles because I think this James Bradbury move almost sets him over the top. I and like, because you have to start thinking of the additions that they have. And obviously, we'll get to their breakdown whenever we get to their breakdown. Um, but this is why we wanted to cover them in the very first place, because they're really an interesting team that was a few pieces away. And just like I texted you, we, you know, we looked at the holes that they needed or that they had, and they filled all those holes exceptionally, exceptionally, yeah. exceptionally. And James Bradbury, another uh, exceptional move from the Eagles to fill a, a very obvious void in their secondary with another uh, star player. And they got him for a good deal. And it's a good move on yeah. James Bradbury part two because you can see how you like it in Philly. Philly's a contending team. Um, contending team, good story, good vibes around that team. Um, you're obviously lining up next to Darius Slay, so that's extremely nice. They do have help on the other side. And it's a one-year deal, so you, you can try it out, bet on yourself a little bit. If you have a good year, you can re-up with the Eagles or you can go somewhere else for big money. So, yeah, on all all accords, I think this works out. But, yeah, if I'm being honest with you, when you told me the Raiders were the big option for him, I, I just – James Bradbury just looked like an Eagle to me. Like, that just looks like an Eagle jersey. Um, I just – I felt he was going to go to the Eagles. And then even more so, um, it stays in the division of the Giants. And I thought that – there might be, you know, because uh, I was under the impression low key that James Bradbury just had a problem with the Giants. Um, but when I was when you told me and I was looking into it a little bit more, it was a cap issue spot uh, or situation. I was like, well, you know, you could figure out how to figure out to keep the guy. And if he meant enough to you and you wanted him, I'm sure they could have figured it out how to keep him. Um, but they didn't. And now he's playing with the division rival. So it's yeah, it's going to be nice. And. And I love Darius Slay, so the fact that he gives him help is real nice, too. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And, I mean, to your point, you have to wonder if uh, the Giants not finding a way to keep him is part of the reason why he chose to go to the Eagles. Maybe he has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, um, you know, after being dealt away like that. So, um, but, yeah, that'll be an interesting storyline to follow and a good spot for him. And, like you said, the Eagles are uh, a team to watch for sure. They have – talent across the board added a ton. Like you said, they were interesting to cover pre-draft 
Um, but just in the draft and past then, they've really stocked up on that roster and, uh, like you said, filled up a lot of those holes that we were talking about. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, excited to see what they can do for sure. All right, and then that's going to do it for our NFL news today. And now we can go ahead and move on to our team breakdowns. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and hand it off to you, Enrique. Awesome. Thanks, sir. So this week I was tasked with covering the Indianapolis Colts. And like I said earlier, I was extremely excited and extremely lucky to be able to do that. Um, so their head coach is going to be Frank Reich. GM is going to be Chris Ballard. Um, to get into their draft picks a little bit, uh, so they traded their first round pick uh, in part of the Carson Wentz deal, which obviously kind of sucks. But uh, their first uh, pick was uh, round, round number two, pick 53, and they took Alec Pierce, wide receiver out of Cincinnati, big body wide receiver, um, and so far, uh, so far, so good in training camp. He's been exactly what they thought he was going to be. Uh, round three, they got Jelani Woods, uh, pick 73, tight end out of Virginia. Uh, uh, they had three round three picks, uh, the second of them being Bernhard Rahman, uh, pick 77, offensive lineman, Central Michigan. Their last third-round pick was Nick Cross, safety out of Maryland with the 96th pick. And then they took Eric Johnson, round five, pick 159, defensive lineman, Missouri State. They took Andrew Ogletree, round six, pick 150 – oh, I guess I messed that one up uh, – 159-150-something, uh, tight end out of Youngstown State. Then they took Curtis Brooks, round six, pick 216, a defensive tackle out of Cincinnati. And then they took Rodney Thomas, the second, a defensive back out of Yale uh, to round out their draft and round number seven. Um, so the potential 53-man roster I got right now um, is going to be obviously quarterback number one, Matt Ryan. Um, Sam Allinger is going to back him up more than likely, um, but we'll kind of see who gets that backup spot. Um, you know, to back up Matt Ryan. They could add another veteran quarterback, but we'll see. Um, running back, obviously, the starter is going to be Jonathan Taylor. Uh, and then Naheem Hines backing him up. And then Philip Lindsay, uh, hopefully, rounding out the running back room. Wide receivers, we got Michael Pittman Jr., uh, the second round pick, Alec Pierce, Paris Campbell, Mike Strachkan, uh, Desmond Patman, Ashton Doolin. And I think they'll add another uh, veteran wide receiver just to kind of round out the uh, the room. You know, they might have to cut one of those guys. Um, but I'm just thinking Pittman Jr. and Alec Pierce are a good one-two punch. But a nice veteran uh, third option could be nice for them. Um, tight ends, they got Mo Alley-Cox, Kylan Granson, Jelani Woods, and Andrew Ogletree. They might not keep four tight ends, but I kept a six-round pick, uh, Alec Ogletree in there, or Andrew Ogletree, because um, the team likes him a lot, and, you know, it's easier to keep him on the list because I already wrote him down. So offensive lineman-wise, we got Matt Pryor. We got the all-pro Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, uh, Danny Pittner, Brandon Smith, Bernhard Ryman, Dennis Kelly, Will Freeze, Ryan Van Demark. And there's a good chance that the Colts keep eight guys uh, just for injury coverage. And there's that ongoing uh, position battle for um, who's going to be the starting left tackle. So they'll just keep some guys in there for the competition wise. Um, and then defensive line, we got 
uh, Kitty Paye. We got DeForest Buckner, Grover Stewart, Yannick Ngakwe, who they just traded from uh, the Raiders. We got Dio at Odi Yingbo, uh, Taekwon Lewis, and Bono ben, Benogi, Eric Johnson the second, and Curtis Books. And then the fifth and sixth round uh, picks, Johnson and Brooks should probably fight for the last spot in that room. Um, just to see who's going to round out the uh, rotation there. Um, both of them are, you know, one's like a two uh, two stance technique, and the other one's like a three stance, or you know, so they just have opposite uh, pass rushing moves, um, op- opposite um, scheme fits. Um, so whoever they feel is going to, you know, add the best um, rotation, they'll probably keep. Uh, linebacker wise, you got Darius Leonard, Bobby Okurike, uh Zaire Franklin, EJ Speed. Uh, Jordan Glasgow and Brandon King. Um, and then to know Glasgow and King will probably make the team, but they're only primarily going to play special teams. Um, so it looked to Darius Leonard and uh, Bobby to kind of hold those two linebacker spots. Um, cornerback, they got the newly signed Stefan Gilmore. They got Pro Bowler Kenny Moore, the second, Brandon Faison, uh, Isaiah Rogers, Tony Brown, Rodney Thomas, the second. Uh, Faison and Rogers should be competing for the starting slot spot, but uh, there's going to be a bunch of players, you know, competing for the last two spots in that cornerback room, just because cornerbacks, one of those, um, you know, positions that you like to have some depth at safety wise. We got uh, Kari Willis, Julian Blackman and Rodney McLeod, uh, third round pick Nick Cross and Armani Watts. Uh, Blackman is rehabbing an Achilles injury, but barring any setback, it should be him and Willis starting with McLeod, uh, giving them a veteran presence and a backup option. And then uh, the Colts are going to probably be looking to develop Nick Ross uh, just because he's just oozing with potential, but, you know, still a little raw at times. Um, Kicker um, and punter, you know, the specialist. We got Rigoberto Sanchez, Rodrigo Blankenship, who is the swaggiest player in all of the NFL, uh, and Luke Rhodes. Um, Blankenship was hurt most of the 2021 season, so we'll see that, how, how that affects him. But he should come back and, you know, secure that starting job, no problem. Um, so that's probably what the 53-man roster is going to look like as far as the Colts go. Um, and, I mean, just top to bottom on that roster, you got good depth. You got all pro guys. Um, you know, the Colts had seven pro bowlers last year. Um, running back Jonathan Taylor, uh, left guard Quentin Nelson, center Ryan Kelly, the uh, defensive tackle DeForest Buckner, linebacker Darius Leonard, uh, their corner Kenny Moore the second, and the long sack, uh, the long snapper, um, you know, Luke Rhodes. And I mean the long snapper made a pro bowl. So that's how, you know, they had a good team. Um, yeah. The Colts had an NFL MVP candidate with Jonathan Taylor last year who ran for 1,811 yards with 18 touchdowns on a 5.5 average. Um, and also posted three of the top five fastest touchdowns from last year. I think all, all of them went over like, I think the bottom two were over 21 miles an hour. And then the fastest one, um, which he holds the top spot for, which was over 22 miles an hour. Um, and I think, unfortunately, it was against the Jets. So, oh. yeah, 
like you couldn't even that man was going he could have got a ticket in a school zone you know what i mean like <laughs> it's crazy um, that is crazy uh and then they also had a defensive player of the year candidate and darius leonard who tallied 122 combined tackles 75 of them were solo and 47 of them uh he assisted on uh eight forced fumbles and four interceptions so that's a total of 12 turnovers just by himself Damn. um that's crazy. When I saw the stat that it was eight forced fumbles, I couldn't, I could not believe it. And even more so, I think I legitimately remember uh, some of them because, you know, the, towards the end of the year, the Colts were fighting for playoff position. And uh, I remember Darius Leonard popping out two fumbles, um, you know, in a couple of those games to, um, you know, help the Colts win those games and play or still stay in playoff position until they ran into the Jaguars. Um, he's such a good player, dude. Dude, he's so so good, and honestly, it doesn't get talked about enough. Um, yeah. So that's why I was even happier to talk about Darius Leonard. Like uh, I just had to for sure. Um, and then after that, the Colts obviously added, added former NFL MVP Matt Ryan uh, through a trade with the Falcons. Uh, his last year with the Falcons, Matty Ice threw for three thousand nine hundred sixty-eight yards with twenty touchdowns and twelve interceptions. Um, which, I mean, when you're looking at that, just based off the stats, it doesn't sound super, super great. But, I mean, obviously Matt Ryan's a little bit older, and you got to really remember, like, he had no one to throw to besides a rookie Kyle Pitts last year. Yeah. So, you know, he, he just really didn't have anyone to throw to. Um, um, but, you know, coming in with the, the Colts, they got Michael Pittman, they got the second-rounder Alec Pierce, and that's why I still think they might add another uh, wide receiver. Uh, to the mix just to give him one more weapon. Um, but even at that, Matt Ryan's only came up short of 4,000 yards four times uh, in his whole career. And, I mean, Matt Ryan's was the first or second overall pick in, what, 2009 or 2007, something like that, 2010, something. Just... I'm also say, like, 2006. Like, he's been in the league for a while. Yeah, yeah, he's been playing forever. So, yeah, he's he's a Hall of Famer, no doubt. He's the Falcons' GOAT quarterback um took him to a super bowl you know obviously he won his uh mvp in 2016 and he just literally changed the whole uh the whole way you look at this colts team you know when maddie ice came over so yeah i, I definitely looked for him to have a much better year with the colts um but besides that you know the colts uh also added defensive player of the year uh stefan gilmore and he's, you know, looking to bolster the defensive back room. Um, and, you know, he kind of fell off just a little bit when he was with Carolina, um, you know, and that could have been an injury. It could have been a lot of different things. Um, but, you know, hopefully the Colts are going to get him back to his defensive player of the year form. And that's going to help because um, they were 19th in passing defense and 16th in total defense. So, you know, kind of in the middle of the pack there. So, Obviously, if you want to start winning Super Bowls and you really want to beat some of these, you know, you want to beat the Bills and you want to beat the Chiefs, you really have to be able to figure out how to stop their weapons. Um, and Stephon Gilmer obviously is going to help help that uh, regard. And then Quentin Nelson was kind of banged up last year, um, but, you know, he's a four-time Pro Bowler, should be healthy coming back. And so far into his four-year career, and this was the craziest thing, He's only allowed four sacks. Wow. That's crazy. Four years, four years in the NFL. 
He's only allowed four sacks. And like, I just, that's as many pro bowl bursts as he has. Yeah. Like that's one. And he's, guess what? He's only like, these are his first four years. So it's not like he's eight years in and he did this. No, no, no. He has every single year. He's been a league pro bowler. Um, minus, um, last year he wasn't an all pro, uh, or you mean second team all pro, um, instead of first team all pro, but first three years, first team all pro, um, four time pro bowler. And he's only allowed four sacks and even, uh, even crazier. His whole career is only 22 penalties. So the only time you hear offensive linemen's names are when they're allowing sacks or when they're getting penalized. It's the only time you hear their names. Um, and he doesn't do either. He doesn't allow sacks, doesn't commit penalties. So yeah, his first four years, he's already established, he's already started off a Hall of Fame career. Um, and yeah, I love watching Quentin Nelson play. He he really like he, you gotta be a little bit of a football fan to like like watching offensive linemen play, but Quentin Nelson is one of those guys that just is thoroughly dominant and you love seeing like this is one of the matchups I love seeing. Like him versus like an Aaron Donald type of guy, you know, like who's going to win like literally a battle of wills and a battle of massive men. Yeah. And yeah, Glenn Nelson's my favorite guard in the in the NFL. I love watching him play. Um, Dude, 100%. I, I agree with you on him. And then I have to put this in here real quick. Like I just need that as a T-shirt is like, you know, four years, four time pro bowler, four sacks. Like that's all you got to say. That just tells yeah. you exactly the type of player he is. That is so clean, and that's so, like, just a, a wow stat. I mean, like you said. It, it, it was crazy because I was, like, going through his pro football focus, and I was reading it, and I was like, he's only had four sacks? Like, four sacks. He's only allowed four sacks his whole career. And, like, when you think of the guys he's played against, um, you know, like, to only allow four sacks as a, as a guard. And, like, it's not like he's, like, uh, Cali, the center is really good as well. Um, but it's not like it's like a shoot like the Cowboys offensive line where you have like Tyron Smith over there for 12 years, and you know, you just got these suit like Zach Martin and different things like that. He really, besides uh, Kelly, he really doesn't have any help, so yeah, yeah well, and on fact- top of that, like if I can sneak one more thing in there with him, is no, like, of course, to your point, like he's the type of player that elevates the offensive lineman around him like he's the piece on that uh, offensive line and if you watch the tape you know he makes plays to make the other guy's life easier and he just does so much he's he, like he's almost like the draymond green of that offensive line i know that's a kind of a weird com- uh like uh, you know connection or whatever but like he just does so much he does all the dirty work and so, you know, they have a great center, but anybody who's in that left tackle slot has a benefit of being next to him in that, like, how much he can do to help them out. Um, he's he's just such an absurd player, and I'm right there with you. He's not only my favorite guard in the uh, in the in NFL, but I have to say my favorite offensive lineman. Um, he's a, like, generational player and a for-sure Hall of Famer, in my opinion. Um, like, even now, but just he's so young. I just shudder to think what he's going to put up from here forth. Oh yeah. Especially I, I just hope he, you know, he's not like um, my boy, Joe Thomas, who doesn't get an opportunity to, you know, get a ring 
um, you know, because he definitely deserves one. And yeah, that I literally like, so I did, you know, little, little notes on all these guys. And then I like literally went back and added something about Quentin Nelson because I just could not leave my boy out like that. There's just yeah. no way. There's, I was like, no, like this is the best player on their whole team. So, yeah. uh, and they got a lot of good players, guys. Yeah. Like Derek Leonard is a baller. Stephon Gilmore. Gilmore. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Def- defensive player of the year two years ago uh matt ryan matt ryan from her mvp like like sorry and, i just like i'm telling you and quinn nelson is better than everybody like and i know that offensive linemen don't get enough love that's why i had to i had to shout my boy out plus that's yeah. crazy on him that's a crazy on that dude, dude man I, like, I can't stop smiling thinking about this colts roster with him on it like this is a heck of a team bro well, speaking of which, so one of the big questions that I had about the about the roster is, is there enough weapons for Matt Ryan to help make this offense a bit more balanced with a passing attack to help take the load off of Jonathan Taylor? Uh, and I, I think they had a – they have a good passing attack with Michael Pittman and the tight ends and some of the stuff they do. Um, but obviously – you know, kind of similar to the Titans that you're about to break down. Um, this offense kind of goes through Jonathan Taylor. And I think that if you're going to, obviously when you get into playoff football, you know, when it's cold, that's when teams like to run the ball. Um, and so Jonathan Taylor is obviously going to help you out in that regard. He's going to get almost 2000 yards, if not 2000 yards this year, um, which I could very easily see him doing, um, you know, but, to me to really get past these the bills of like the bills and the chiefs like threw for like 1200 yards in that playoff game last year like combined like josh allen josh allen will throw a 500 yard game any day of the week you know and the same thing for patrick mahomes they'll throw five touchdowns every sunday and then Um, rush for 200 like not 200 but like you know 100 so it's one of those things that you really do need uh, a balanced uh, attack or you need just an overwhelming force um, to score points. And I think Jonathan Taylor can be an overwhelming force, but it's easier to stop a dominant running game. I mean, the Jets beat the Titans and Derrick Henry had 167 yards. You know what I mean? Um, so if, if that doesn't tell you that a dominant running game can't always win a game outright by itself, um, then I don't know what else does. So right. that's why I'm hoping that, you know, I'm hoping that the Colts add someone along the lines of like, and I cross my fingers that he, he gets healthy, Julio Jones, um, or just someone, someone that can just spice up that wide receiver room a little bit. Not that I don't like their tight ends, but they're just not for sure um, pass catching options that can make a difference. Even if the Colts had like a Noah Fant, I would be really cool. But uh, Michael Pittman Jr., although he's been great, isn't the guy for me that really wakes me up in the morning. I'm not worried about a Michael Pittman Jr. Um, as much as I'm worried about a Jalen Waddle or Devonta Smith or even Elijah Moore of the Jets, if I'm being exactly. honest with you. Um, so, and then obviously Alec Pierce is a big-bodied um, – I mean, honestly, he's a big body white boy wide receiver. You know what I mean? So, like, he's just a big giant dude, and that's not 
Drake London has a little bit more speed than Alec Pierce. So this guy's not necessarily taking the top off of guys. He's more of like a Megatron, you know, red zone. Like that's what his big thing in training camp right now is he's caught in like three or four touchdown passes in the red zone because he's just a big bodied guy. So he's not like a take the top off type of guy. Um, he's like a complimentary piece to Michael Pittman because Michael Pittman's a little bit more of a shiftier receiver. Um, right. But just, you know, not guys that I think um, have that, like that Julio Jones combined where he's physical and fast, um, you know. So I just think they need that third, that third target just to make things a little bit more comfortable for me. Um, you know, like, uh, what was his name for the Jets? He was such a good player. Jameson Crowder would yeah. be beyond perfect for the Colts right now. Like, I don't know where James Crowder's at. I think he might be playing for the Bills. But go swing a trade for him because a James Crowder would help your offense so much. Just to have that third down option that, you know, Alec Pierce is a rookie. You know, he might be out of place or just might – the game might be too big for him initially. Um, and Pittman's only in his – I think he's going to his third year. So you got very young developing wide receivers just to add a veteran presence would be really nice for me. Um, what do you think, Ryan? What do you think? Do you think the Colts have enough offensive um, pass catching firepower? I, I, I don't. I mean, to be honest with you, like I think they have pieces there, but I agree with you that I really think that they need to make an addition. And, you know, I, I find it funny because you, you were talking about um, – like what they kind of need and number one you brought up Jamison Crowder but then also uh Julio Jones who has the Matt Ryan connection and is on the market obviously you have questions about his injuries um and so I think that maybe that's why that hasn't already even happened um but you know if it's not him even though that seems like just such a you know it just jumps out at you is like do it you know what I mean but um obviously it's got to be for the right price considering the injuries and uh, yeah, I mean, if he gets injured, you're right back to where you started. Um, and so I do think that they need to add somebody, uh, maybe somebody a little bit younger. Uh, and there, there are still some options on the market. I mean, with the type of team you have, if you made a good enough offer, heck, bring in Odell. I mean, I think he ends up staying with LA, but he's on the market, um, you know, so make him enough of an offer to sway him. And I think that that would be a piece to uh, come in here and uh, really give somebody for Matt Ryan to connect with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so the next the next question, and I'll kind of tie this into um, talking about their schedule as well, is how do they match up with these other powerhouse AFC teams? And uh, and the reason why I wanted to kind of combine it with the schedule is because they play a lot of these powerhouse AFC teams. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, obviously they play the Tennessee Titans and the Jags. And the Texans all twice each, you know, those are uh, the division games, division rivals. Uh, so they get to play them twice each. But then they play the Chiefs. They play the Broncos at home here in Denver. They play the Washington Commanders, the New England Patriots, the Las Vegas Raiders at home. So, you know, in Las Vegas, uh, another powerhouse AFC team, the Philadelphia Eagles, the Pittsburgh Steelers the Dallas Cowboys, the Minnesota Vikings, the Los Angeles Chargers, and the New York Giants. So you're playing the Chargers, the Raiders, the Chiefs, and the Broncos. 
and the Titans as well. And I'm not trying to disregard the Titans um, because what they were, what they weren't the first. Were they the first seed last year? I think they were the first seed last year. No, they. I if they didn't finish the first seed, I know they were for uh, quite a time during the season. Right. So, so the Titans are a very good team, very talented team, and you know, not trying to discredit them. Um, I just. I think I see the holes more so in the Titans offense and the holes on the team more so than I see the answers and the, and them feeling it. Um, and so to me, they just have lost some of that luster for me, but the chiefs, the Broncos, the Raiders, I mean, fuck the Patriots, but like Mac Jones is good. You know what I mean? Like there are a decent team. Um, you know, that's still a test for them. And then, yeah, you have to play the chargers. And then, you know, on the NFC side, like you, you are playing the Cowboys and the Eagles and, you know, like, you know, I guess the Vikings, but which are talented teams as well. Um, I mean, the Cowboys and the Eagles are playoff teams, so they have a they have a relatively tough schedule. Um, and I just want to know how how you think that the Colts match up against a team like the Broncos or the Chiefs. Obviously, we'll see them. Um, but just off the top of your head right now, how do you think they match up against like the Bills or the Chiefs? Yeah, I mean, to be completely honest with you, I'm I'm really high on this Colts team. Um, and I do think that uh, I'm a huge fan of Frank Reich and the uh, coaching there. Uh, so you have a, an established head coach, you bring in Matt Ryan, and then you have an established running game with Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor, like an MVP candidate last year for a bit. Um, you know, like, I think there's a lot to work with here. If you can get the wide receiver short up, um, I think that this is a serious team that could be a contender. And I think that the Colts have been right where the Broncos have been at for the last couple of years is a quarterback away. And so you didn't see that work last year with Carson Wentz. Uh, you didn't see it work the year previous year, um, you know, since Andrew Luck retired. And, um, I think that that Matt Ryan addition really does it for me with this team. Um, so I think you're, you know, right on there with around 11, you know, maybe creep up to 12, 13 wins if things go your way. Um, but I think that they match up really well with teams like the Broncos and the Chiefs. Um, and they have a ton of talent everywhere. And uh, having the combina- a combination of a ridiculously good running game, you add to that back or that uh, running back room. Um, and then you add Matt Ryan and, you know, finally get that passing game going. I just don't see like, unless things just flame out or they just can't get on schedule with each other quick enough. Um, I just don't see how this team, uh, isn't a contender. Yeah. And, and exactly to your point. Um, so right now we have, um, our, we have them going around, uh, 11 and six. Um, I have them splitting with Tennessee, you know, uh, Tennessee probably win their home game. Colts probably win their home game. Um, I got beating the Jags twice, which I guess theoretically could add one to the loss. I could see him losing to the Jags once, but just for this case, I got to beat the Jags twice. Uh, I got to beat the Texans twice. I got to beat the Commanders, the Patriots, the Eagles, which is a toss-up for me on the Eagles game. Um, I, I, I feel like they can beat the Eagles. I can see a world where they lose against the Eagles as well. Depend, it all depends on Jalen Hurts. Yeah. Um, so 
Um, but then I have them beating the Steelers, uh, the Vikings, and the Giants. I have them losing against the Chiefs, Broncos, Chargers, Cowboys, and Raiders. So I have them dropping all four of their primetime AFC big scary team matchups. Um, and not that I'm not a believer in Matt Ryan. Um, I just think the Chiefs have more problems um, than the Colts can stop. Um, I think the Broncos have more problems than the Colts can stop. Uh, the Chargers and the Raiders. Yeah, I, I just think that these teams have just overwhelming. Um, like, if I'm being honest with you, I think the Chargers are one of the scariest teams in the NFL, in my yeah. opinion. I, they're just like when you think of who they have on their team, um, like what are you going to do against Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa? What are you going to do against J.C. Jackson? And, you know, like – and Asante Samuel Jr. is no is no slouch as a second-year corner. Yeah, um, only going to get better, and, too. Oh, and then let me just remind you, um, a man that you actually own the jersey to, Derwin James. Like, Yeah. Yeah, he plays in the backfield as well for the Chargers, and he's, uh, you know, if not the best – well, well, I don't want to say that, actually. Because I know that you'll you'll get in the car and you'll come and beat me down with your Justin Simmons jersey <laughs> on, and I, I don't want to say that Derwin James is the best safety in the NFL, but he's up there. He's he's up there for sure. Um, and then yeah, you got Keenan Allen, Jay Herbo. You know I love Herbie fully loaded. Like yeah. they're just and then the Raiders have Chandler Jones and Max Crosby, and they got. Devonte Adams, they got Derek Carr, they got Josh Jacobs still, they got Darren Waller, like they got Hunter Renfro. You know, there's just uh, the Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes. Enough said. Travis Kelsey. Enough said. Um, so there's just overwhelming things that I think the Colts don't like. If the Colts swung a trade for anybody, like if they signed Odell, I'd be cool with it. Like, if they signed Odell, I would probably say, like, okay, now – I'm not saying Odell's, like, a true difference maker anymore at this point in his career, but it would be somebody. But if the Colts signed, like, a – or traded for, like, a – like, a – I'll even say that, that dude from the Giants, Cadavius Tony. like, if the uh, Colts traded for him, like, I would be like, okay, now I think that the Colts can kind of keep up with these other teams. I just think that – these other AFC teams kind of have some overwhelming strengths that the Colts don't have for me right now. Besides Quentin Nelson and Darius Leonard, I think literally like Darius Leonard reminds me of like Giannis where he can like, like when he was forcing them fumbles, dude, it's like, he's like willing the Colts to win and shit. It's just crazy. And then Jonathan Taylor is amazing as well. Um, But I just, I don't know. Like if you're going to win a game, are you going to ha- win a game with Patrick Mahomes throwing five touchdowns or are you going to win a game with, you know, Jonathan Taylor running for 200 yards? You know, like which one is the for sure win? And I think it's Patrick Mahomes throwing 500 yards, five touchdowns. Unless you play Josh Allen because then that shit's going to go to overtime 17 times. Right. Exactly. But, but yeah, like, you know, it just – I love breaking down this Colts team, and I, I, I think they're going to finish right around 11-12, maybe creep up to the 13 wins. Um, and I, I love Matt Ryan. I love everything the Colts are doing. So 
Yeah, man. Um, I'm just super excited to see how the season plays out for these guys. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I mean, great job breaking these guys down. Uh, there's just so much to talk about with this team. I think you hit so many of uh, the huge beats there with this team. And like, there's just a wealth of talent. I mean, they added to it in the draft, but this was already a good team. And then we talked about it, adding Matt Ryan, you know, just kind of puts you over the top. But at the same time, you're lacking some of the depth with weapons where when you're matching them with those uh, really scary teams, uh, like you said, that uh, maybe there's just not enough there. Um, and the other teams, uh, to quote your words, have more problems. Um, you know, so like, I totally agree. Uh, you know, just to go through a few of your points here. Um, I mean, Jonathan Taylor, an absurd player, MVP candidate. And like, you know, I think that the nice thing for Matt Ryan and you talk about kind of comparing to a Denver Broncos team where you have a brand new head coach uh, coming in and you're trying to establish that culture for one thing, but then you have this brand new quarterback coming in. Um, there's a lot of new. And so for the Colts to not only have uh, an established coach in Frank Reich, uh, that established culture, but then a uh, running back who's going to basically run half the offense for you. And not only that, but having just the presence of Matt Ryan is going to make Jonathan Taylor's job easier because before when you didn't have that quarterback threat, you can load the box and dare Jonathan Taylor to run through it. And sure. Is he still going to burn you for, you know, six yards of carry or whatever, but yes, he will. But like now you can't do that because you have to account for, the receiving threats at least more so than you did with Car Carson Wentz back there. Um, and that just makes Jonathan Taylor's job e even easier. Um, and yeah, I mean, Stefan Gilmore, I think that was like an essential pickup for this team. Uh, if you like, when you were breaking down the cornerback room, there's really not a ton there. Like when you talk about uh, without Stefan Gilmore, Kenny Moore, uh, Brandon Fackison and Isaiah Rogers. I mean, you go on, go down the list there, but that's not uh, that like that would be a glaring weakness for me had they not picked up Stefan Gilmore um, after trading Rockius in a way for Yannick Ngakwe, uh, which is a great pickup as well. But um, yeah, man, I mean, great job again. Uh, those Colts are going to be really interesting. Uh, and I'm really excited to see them play football this year. Um, and for Matt Ryan too, you know, obviously I would rather the Broncos win it, but is this the year that he comes in and uh, finally gets his ring um, after the whole 28 to three thing? And uh, that was the closest he ever got and kind of looked like his career was just going to dwindle off uh, with Atlanta, not really putting the lot around him, but now joining this Colts team, he's got a lot to look forward to and um, could be the next Matthew Stafford if it's not Russell Wilson, <laughs> you know, but yeah, absolutely. Um, I I really do hope that this is the best chance he's ever had. And yeah. I hope that he's able to take advantage of it, of the culture able to take advantage of it. I won't be mad if Indy wins a bowl, dude. Wouldn't be mad about it at all. Wouldn't yeah. be mad about it at all. Like, Quentin Nelson gets a ring. Darius Leonard gets a ring. Um, Stephon Gilmore. Um, you know, I'm cool with it. I'm cool with it. Well, and the Broncos kind of owe the Colts that too after, uh, you know, them just gifting us Peyton Manning and we got a ring out of it. 
so, I mean, I, I can't be mad at it for sure. All right. So, yeah, let's go ahead and uh, break down the Titans. So their head coach, Mike Vrabel, uh, I'm a huge fan of this guy, and he's been uh, nothing but great since he started uh, for the Titans, in my opinion. Um, total players coach, obviously a player beforehand, a legendary player at that, I guess you could say, um, to an extent. And um, Yeah, I mean, he's been fantastic so far. Uh, their general manager, John Robinson, been pretty decent. Um, I think that, you know, fans have their gripes with him. Um, but overall, I mean, he's put this roster in a position to compete. Um, and I think there's some questions with some of the contracts that he's given out uh, in terms of the long-term vision. Um, but, you know, so far, so good. You're coming off a 2021 campaign where you recorded a 12 and five record. Um, like we were talking about a little bit earlier, uh, if they didn't finish the one seed, they were a one seed for a good portion uh, of time in the AFC there. So, yeah, I mean, and then we can go ahead and move on to some of their key departures in this offseason. Uh, you talk about, first of all, you know, the biggest headline out of all of them, A.J. Brown getting traded to the Eagles. Um, I mean, we talked about the situation a little bit uh, during our draft coverage. And, you know, I think it was something that like because of the position that they put them in contract wise uh they needed to move around some cap and they thought that the best opportunity was to trade aj brown now before you pay him um and then get what you can back and pick a wide receiver as we'll talk about a little bit later and um you know try to get younger uh in that sense so uh, yeah, A.J. Brown, the biggest or one of the biggest stars, I should say, on this Titans team, uh, now a Philadelphia Eagle. And then Julio Jones, not coming back from last year, was injured for them a lot of the time. I know a lot of Titans fans are kind of like I found it interesting, uh, you know, consuming Titans media and uh, looking into their team, how uh, it seems like there's quite a few fans that are just don't really like Julio or are frustrated, which, I mean, I can understand being frustrated with him being injured, but um, there's really a, a kind of negative feeling for some fans, at least uh, around Julio Jones. Um, so yeah, interesting there, but yeah, he's not coming back. And then they lost Roger Saffold uh, starting guard for them. Uh, so solid piece there to walk away Rashawn Evans, one of their inside linebackers uh, and then David Questenberry, uh, a tackle slash guard. He's played both, uh, but another starting guy there. Um, so two big pieces off the offensive line uh, departed. And then Donta Foreman uh, running back and uh, somebody who came in for Derrick Henry when he was injured and kind of, you know, played above expectations, um, but they decide not to bring him back. Um, so they feel confident in uh, their room, clearly. Um, but with that, we can go ahead and move on to the roster itself. Uh, so going through the offense, starting with the quarterback, you have Ryan Tannehill as your starter, obviously gave him that big contract. Um, it really seems like to me the Titans are kind of ready to uh, move forward and move off of that contract. They feel like that. I don't know that they feel like Ryan Tannehill can't get him them there necessarily, but at the very least, uh, they decided to take an opportunity on one of the biggest quarterbacks uh, in this draft in Malik Willis, who uh, is backing up Ryan Tannehill there. Um, took him in the third round at number or pick number 86. And a lot later than uh, a lot of people expected coming into the draft. Uh, but most of those quarterbacks other than Kenny Pickett uh, fell just as far. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, uh, definitely good value for him. Uh, and you do wonder if the Titans came in targeting one of those guys and they would have picked them uh, earlier if they felt like they were going to go earlier. Uh, or if this was more of a, like, we kind of feel like we want to move off Ryan Tannehill at some point, And now we're sitting in the third round and there's a quarterback or multiple quarterbacks that were being talk, uh, talked about as first rounders you know, here now, like that's a great value. So you just pick best player available essentially. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that whole situation plays out. Um, but in my opinion, I do think Malik Willis needs a year. And I think this is a good uh, spot for him to land overall, because you do have Ryan Tannehill who can take the snaps while Malik Willis develops. Um, Cause he, he really does need that before he gets tossed out there. Um, and I think that that's going to be a big uh, sticking point for whether he actually becomes a uh, good quarterback in this league or not. Um, and then backing up them, they have Logan Woodside. And moving on to the running back room, obviously King Henry leading out the room. Um, you know, not much else to say there. Uh, you got that spot taken care of with him. You got that uh, running game taken care of with him. As long as he's on the field, you hope that uh, he can stay on the field this year after missing a good chunk of last year. Um, but just in case behind him, you have a few guys starting with Hassan Haskins, a draft pick in the fourth round, number 131 this year, um, coming out of Michigan. And I actually really like this guy. I think that he's not, I, I don't know that I think that he's going to develop into like a superstar or star running back, but I do think that he is going to be a solid contributor. He's a downhill guy. He's a little bit on the taller side. Um, and just runs through people. He's got a little bit of agility to him, but not in that upper echelon um, and of that kind of thing. So I think he's he's kind of a low ceiling guy, um, in my personal opinion. Um, but I think that as a spellback for uh, Derrick Henry and some of these other guys in the room, he's going to be a really solid piece um, and definitely take some of the pressure off of Derrick Henry there. Uh, and then especially after losing Dante Foreman as well in free agency. And then so behind him, you have Dontrell Hilliard and then Trenton Cannon uh, coming over from San Francisco, another solid guy there. Uh, behind them, Jordan Wilkins and then Julius Chestnut coming in as an undrafted free agent. Uh, their uh, fullback is Tory Carter. He's been solid for them. Tight ends start with Austin Hooper, uh, who's coming over from Cleveland, a solid piece there. Um, I don't think that he's been fantastic or anything, uh, but he's certainly been a uh, decent weapon there for Baker. Uh, over in Cleveland and now with the Titans and then Jeff Swain been okay for them. Uh, one of my favorite uh, guys in the draft at that tight end spot, Chagosium Okonkwo. Uh, they drafted in the fourth round at number 143, which I think was a great value for him. Um, I think in my opinion, I thought he was going to be a second or third round guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, at fourth round, I really like that pick. Uh, and then I think that he's somebody, when you start to talk about that wide receiver room too, that, can play uh, out wide and in the slot as a tight end. He, he's not, I wouldn't say he's like built for that necessarily. Uh, he is more of a classic tight end sort of build, but he can certainly do it. And he's got the pass catching abilities. And I do think he's not uh, the greatest blocker either. So maybe you can throw him out there if you have a deficiency at wide receiver. And then uh, speaking of the wide receivers, or well, actually in the tight end room, we also have uh, Tommy Hudson, Ryan Izzo, uh, and then Thomas Otokoya. And actually, this was one I did want to uh, highlight here. 
Thomas Odukoya uh, added as part of the International Player Pathway Pro Program, and he's from the Netherlands. And this is something I actually didn't know about uh, until I was looking into this. Uh, it was established in 2016, the International Player Pathway Program, where the NFL would kind of sponsor uh, certain international players and, um, you know, bring them over or uh, help kind of just help them along in their journey um, to the NFL. And yeah, so he was one of those players added uh, to the Titans roster as part of that program. Uh, so we'll have to see if he can uh, make the roster there. Um, and then at wide receiver. So your number one wide receiver right now after losing AJ Brown uh, is Robert Woods coming over from the LA Rams uh, was injured last year. Unfortunately uh, didn't get to uh, play out a lot of that Super Bowl run. Um, and then he gets shipped over to the Titans. Um, I do think he's a solid piece, but not necessarily somebody that like you look at that as uh, Robert Woods is number one receiver and you're like, yeah, like we could certainly stand to upgrade, you know? Um, and then behind him, obviously you have the rookie um, with the pick or one of the picks that they got for AJ Brown. They picked Traylon Burks uh, at 18 and um, he's a guy that, I mean, we've talked about him during the draft process. He's a physical guy, athletic guy, um, good at like kind of jump balls and, and attacking the ball. Um, but I do think he's a little bit raw. Um, and then also, as you brought up to me, there's been some talk of him coming into training camp, uh, not all the way in shape, which you never like to see, especially coming in into your rookie year. Um, you really kind of would hope to have an emphasis on being like uh, ready and ahead of the curve and prepared. Um, but, you know, that's not necessarily an indicator of where his career will go, but certainly not the greatest sign to start off with at the beginning of, uh, you know, not even training camp, but rookie uh, mini camp, you know? So uh, yeah, we'll have to see about that. But, uh, and then behind them, you have Nick Westbrook, uh, Ikihine, probably butchered that, but um, he got some snaps last year. Uh, has been okay for them so far. We'll have to see what he can develop into. Behind him, Kyle Phillips, uh, draft pick from this year in the fifth round at number 163. He came out of UCLA, and I actually really, really like this guy. Um, I liken him to like a Julian Edelman, like kind of that smaller, quick burst, uh, like slot wide receiver, and um, kind of does some of their dirty work. He tries his best to block, even though he's a small guy. He's got really good route running. He's quick and like kind of twitchy. And um, yeah, I mean, he knows how to get open. He knows how to come towards the ball and uh, give him the best chance to catch, especially being a small guy. If you don't have the awareness to kind of like put yourself in a better position to catch the ball sometimes, uh, you can very easily get uh, overpowered by bigger guys. So that, like a uh, smart guy, obviously, I mean, when you talk about that awareness, um, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Kyle Phillips and I think that he's going to develop into an actual straight up weapon. Um, even though he's a fifth round, I mean, I think that's more indicative of just how many good wide receivers were in this draft, um, rather than his talent, because I could have seen him as a, a, you know, second, third, fourth round guy as well. Um, but yeah. And then behind them, Des Fitzpatrick, Racy McMath, Josh Malone, Kinsey Mason, Cody Hollister, uh, and then as undrafted free agents, they bring in 
Reggie Robinson Jr. and Brandon Lewis. So you've got some pieces to work with in that room for sure. Um, but I do think that you're uh, really hurting without AJ Brown's presence there. Um, but yeah, and then moving on to the offensive line. And left tackle, you got that taken care of with Taylor Lewan, provided he stays healthy. Um, but behind him, Christian DeLauro, and then Andrew Rupkich, uh coming in as an undrafted free agent. And at your left guard spot, you have Aaron Brewer, then Jamarco Jones coming in from Seattle, uh, and then Hayden Howerton as an undrafted free agent. Uh, at center spot, you have Ben Jones, and then Daniel Munier, and Xavier Newman coming in as an undrafted free agent. And at right guard, Nate Davis, and then Corey Levin and Jordan Roos. And at right tackle, you have Dylan Radins, Nicholas Petit Ferrare, which is a draft pick coming in in the third round at number 69. Nice. And then Derwin Gray, and behind him, Jalen McKenzie at undrafted free agent. Uh, this is an interesting offensive line because last year they were not great at pass blocking but they were fantastic at running blocking and that's been the focus obviously for them uh, making making sure that you can uh, get those blocks for Derrick Henry open up those holes for him and run your offense primarily through the run game uh, I think that's been their formula um, however you lose uh, two really important guys in David Questenberry and Roger Saffold uh, in free agency there and so now you are looking at Aaron Brewer potentially starting uh, and then you're looking at Dylan Raiden starting at right tackle, uh, Nate Davis as your right guard. I think you're you're okay with Ben Jones. Uh, he's still young, but I, I think you're okay with that. Taylor Lewan, you feel like you're pretty confident in that as long as he gets healthy. But, I mean, if Taylor Lewan goes down, this is not a good offensive line on paper. There's a lot of unproven pieces here. Um, and so and you talk about Nicholas Petit-Ferrari, coming in as right tackle. I do really like him. And I think that he's going to be good. Uh, I think he's going to be good as a pass blocker as well. Uh, but he's got development ahead of him. And so he's not going to be somebody who's going to be an immediate uh, boon for them on that offensive line. So um, honestly, one of the biggest questions for me with this team is that offensive line and just how good they're going to be both in the run game and the pass game. Um, so that, that'll be interesting to see play out. Uh, but then moving on to the defense there. So we're going to start from the safeties and move down uh, at free safety. I have Kevin Biard, fantastic player, obviously uh, one of their biggest stars. Then AJ Moore coming uh, in from Houston and then Rodney Clements behind them. And at strong safety, you have Amani Hooker, a uh, good player there as well. And then Theo Jackson coming in as a rookie, uh, sixth round, uh, number 204. He seems like he's going to really more be a special teams guy, but I think he could develop himself into a role. Um, and then Michael Griffin uh, coming in as an undrafted free agent. At cornerback, you have Christian Fulton, Elijah Molden, Caleb Farley, and then Buster Screen. Uh, one of my guys coming in, Roger McCreary, a rookie this year. Uh, he was picked in the second round at number 35, um, and he came from Auburn. I'm really high on him, uh, but I do think that he's going to have to take some time uh, to develop, and I don't know how much of a uh, year one contributor he's going to be. And then Chris Jackson behind him, Greg Maiden, Shaheem Carter, Chris Williamson, and then Trey Swilling and Kenneth George Jr. Uh, and Trey Avery all coming in as undrafted free agents. 
So to back it up a little bit in that cornerback room, this is uh, another really big question for me, honestly, on this roster. Um, you know, you have two fairly high or three actually fairly high draft picks of the last couple of years, really young guys in Christian Fulton, Elijah Molden and Caleb Farley. I think Christian Fulton's the most proven out of those three. Um, but you're putting a lot of hope into young guys who have not had a ton of experience yet in this cornerback room. And as we talked about, and uh, in the Colts brought, um, you know, their record prediction and their schedule, and we'll talk about later as well. These teams this year are going against a lot of good quarterbacks. Um, and so I think that that's going to be a really big uh, sticking point for their defense is can those guy, uh, young guys show up against those uh, very experienced quarterbacks or are they going to pick them apart? Um, and you really, other than um, Buster Screen, who is getting on the older side, um, he is a good veteran and he's a smart player, uh, but that's really the, the only veteran presence you have in this cornerback room. Um, and I don't think he's a player that's going to lead by example necessarily just because he's not in that point in his career. Um, he's certainly going to be a piece there, but you hope that he can, um, you know, kind of bring some of these young guys up to speed uh, a little more and help them out during the season um, so that they start off on the right path. Because otherwise this cornerback room, if you can take advantage of these young guys, uh, this team isn't going to, you know, go anywhere if you just get picked apart by a lot of these quarterbacks you're facing. So um yeah, that's a big question for me. And then uh, at the inside linebacker room, you have Zach Cunningham, a veteran, David Long, another veteran, uh, Zach Cunningham, obviously the best one in that room there. And then Cole Dillon behind them, Monty Rice, uh, Joe Jones, a former Bronco and special teams ace, really like him. He was somebody I was kind of sad to see uh, go away, but he's a um, you know good guy to have here on, on your roster. And then uh, coming in as a rookie, Chance Campbell in the sixth round at number 219. Um, I like him as well. I think he's going to be a developmental piece and I uh, probably won't see a lot of action this year uh, other than I assume special teams because he's a rookie. Um, but yeah, he could develop into something for them for sure. And then uh, Jack Gibbons coming in as an undrafted free agent. And uh, on the, the edge, you have Harold Landry, a great player. Bud Dupree behind him uh, came in a couple years ago now as a free agent, still solid. And then Rashad Weaver and Ola Adenayi, Adenayi uh, and then David Amenih, and uh, oh, coming in as an undrafted free agent. And then Justin Lawler uh, coming in from the uh, LA Rams and free agency. And uh, at the defensive end spot, you have Danico Autry, uh, an up, up and coming player. I think he's going to take another step this year as well. Uh, behind him, Kevin Strong, then Deshaun Hand, and Demarcus Walker, another former Bronco, uh, but coming over from the Houston Texans in free agency this year. A uh, guy I really liked when he was here. Um, at that nose tackle spot, you have Tayer Tart starting, and then Daquan Jones behind him, and Haskell Garrett coming in as an undrafted free agent. And at defensive tackle, you have Jeffrey Simmons, one of the best players in the league at defensive tackle there. Uh, Lorel Merchantson behind him. Jaden Peavy coming in as an undrafted free agent, as well as Sam uh, Oku Inoyu. Yeah, butchered that one as well. Um, coming in as an undrafted free agent. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, with that defensive line, I think that's really 
one of the biggest strengths of this team, um, as well as a linebacking room, to be honest with you, um, especially when you talk about Jeffrey Simmons and Danico Autry, um, and then Harold Landry and Bud Dupree uh, on that line all together. I mean, yeah, that's a formidable force for sure. And one of the better lines uh, in the league. Um, Tyre Tart, I guess, would be my only question, but he's been solid in the time that he has played. Um, so, and I think he's got enough around him that having one kind of eh piece around a bunch of talent is not the worst thing in the world for that defensive line. Um, and then at kicker, you have Randy Bullock and then Caleb Shudik coming in as the undrafted free agent. And at punter, uh, Brett Kern, the longtime veteran, and then Ryan Stonehouse coming in as an undrafted free agent out of Colorado State. This is one of my guys that I really like. Um, obviously Colorado native. Uh, so, you know, you hear about him a little bit more, but he's got just a, you know, rocket leg and he's got a lot of control too. You look up uh, highlights of him and he's got a lot of uh, like controlled coffin kicks and uh, really pinpoint like punts. Uh, and I think he's just a good player. Um, I'm a, I actually thought that he was going to be one of those punters that could kind of sneak in and get drafted, uh, but he did end up being an undrafted free agent. And uh, I think he could be the uh, next in line after Brett Kern uh, being their punter for so many years now. Um, and then uh, at returner, at, at this point, honestly, it could be anybody, but two guys that could potentially take those spots, uh, Amani Hooker and Dontrell Hilliard. Um and so my top three storylines going into this season, I think number one, the biggest story you have this offseason, A.J. Brown getting traded and then Traylon Burks and the rest of that wide receiver room. Um, you know, this is going to be a huge thing for the, the Titans' success is uh, can you re- not even replace, because I don't think you have enough on the roster to straight up replace, but can you at least get some of that production that a, you're losing from A.J. Brown uh, back with the players you have on the roster now. Um, and you're expecting a lot out of Traylon Burks as a rookie. Um, and I think that in particular, he's one of the wide receivers in this class that uh, was not one of the super refined, or not even super refined, but like just very refined first round picks um, that you could expect to be a solid starting piece in their first year. I really do think that he's a guy that may not be as effective this first year and will get better um, as he goes but we'll just have to see. And that's going to be a huge question for them. Um, And then Malik Willis at number two, Malik Willis and Ryan Tannehill QB controversy. Now for me, as we talked about when I went over the quarterback uh, or quarterback room, I think that Malik Willis needs to sit at least a year and learn. I don't think he's ready to start, but I mean, Enrique, you and I both know the NFL we know fans. I mean, there's already people out there asking for him to be put in the game. And you know that anytime Ryan Tannehill has a bad game, and you think about like even the first year or the first game of the year last year against the Cardinals um, at home and the Titans got like obliterated by the Cardinals and Chandler Jones had like five sacks. Like you come out and do that again in week one and the entire fan base is going to be asking for Malik Willis. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, like low key, um, especially after Ryan Tannehill like was a dick and said that right. he wasn't going to mentor him. And Malik, uh, you know, Malik Willis handled it like you know, like a stud. You know, he said, "I'm not even tripping on it." 
right. it's competition. I'm coming for the job too. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've seen it time and time again with a young, I mean, honestly, if you got drafted in the top three rounds as a quarterback and the starter is slightly not secure, like the fan base is going to ask for that guy to come on. I mean, they were chanting for Drew Locke and they were chanting for Tim Tebow and he's like, the list goes on and on and on because yeah, if the fan base thinks your quarterback sucks, which certain people think uh, me being one of them think that Ryan Tannehill sucks. Um, then yeah, you're going to want, you're going to want the new guy. So uh, yeah, I, I low key didn't think about it as like as big of a storyline until you brought it up. And then I was like, you know what? That is kind of a fucking good point. Yeah. It's like, it's one of those things that when you really think about the football of it, talking about Malik Willis, he's not ready. So it shouldn't be a conversation, but you know, we both know better than that. And the media is going to bring that stuff up because uh, people eat it up and the fans are going to want him um, ASAP. That's just how these things go. So um, even though it shouldn't really be a topic, it's going to be. Uh, so yeah, well, that's something they're going to have to grapple with all year long. Um, and then at number three for me, I have the young cornerbacks facing a lot of star Q, uh, QBs in a tough overall schedule. So yeah, I brought this up a little bit when we were going over that cornerback room. A lot of young guys in there, a lot of unproven guys who have not had a ton of snaps going against older, well, some older, um, more experienced quarterbacks that uh, can potentially pick them apart. And uh, if it's as much of a sticking point as I feel like it might be, um, that's going to be a really hard thing for this Titans team to overcome, especially if your offense is taking a hit uh, from losing A.J. Brown. Um, And then, I mean, to go back to the A.J. Brown point, too, real quick, is like you talk about that loss, depending on how much they can replace that production from A.J. Brown you're going to struggle in the running game too because it's like the opposite of what we were talking about with uh, the Colts where you have a solid running game and you add this passing threat now so things are going to open up for Jonathan Jonathan Taylor with the Titans you remove what was already a kind of doubted passing attack when you I mean you talk about Ryan Tannehill and some people think he sucks so it's already a doubted passing attack and then you take away its biggest threat by far, don't necessarily replace it. And that's not going to go over very well uh, for Derrick Henry. And I think he's going to face even more adversity um, than usual this year because of that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just a lot of questions with this Titans team. But uh, with that, we can go ahead and run through the schedule real quick. Um, so at week one versus New York Giants, I think that's a W. Uh, at week two at Buffalo Bills, I think they lose that. At week three, they go or they're uh, versus the Las Vegas Raiders at home. I think that they probably lose that one. Uh, week four, you're at Indianapolis Colts. I think they lose that as well. Week five, you're at Washington football team slash commanders. Uh, I think that that is probably a win, or at least it should be. Uh, week six is your bye week. Then week seven versus the Colts, uh, and I think they have to take that game. You hope that that's a win. Uh, at week eight, you are at the Texans. Think that that's a win. Week nine at the Chiefs. I think they lose that game. Week ten versus the Denver Broncos at home. Uh, I think that they lose that game as well. Might be a little biased. 
But uh, week 11, you're at the Green Bay Packers. I think they lose that. And that's a Thursday game as well. So you come off facing the Denver Broncos on Sunday uh, to having to travel to Green Bay on a Thursday, four days later. Uh, that's going to be a really tough one for them. Um, and then week 12 versus the Cincinnati Bengals at home. I think they probably lose that one. And then week 13 at Philadelphia Eagles, they should win that one. But I mean, I, I feel like we've said that a few times during this AFC East uh, breakdowns, it, depending on Jalen Hurts, you know, the Eagles could take these kind of games, um, but it just depends on how good Jalen Hurts is going to be. Um, and that's at Philadelphia as well. It's a home game for them. So uh, week 14 versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think that's a win. Week 15, you're at Los Angeles going against the Chargers. I think that's a loss. And then week 16 versus the Houston Texans at home. I think that's a win. Week 17 versus the Cowboys. Hope that's a win. Week 18 at the Jacksonville Jaguars. You hope that is a win as well. Um, so some of the key games going through those for me, I think these are the biggest games that could affect the schedule um, or affect like their overall, um, you know, record and games that will change the trajectory of their uh, season, really. Um, so first one for me is week three versus Las Vegas Raiders. I think this is a team that is beatable um, for the Titans if they are playing well. But at the same time, you talk about, um, you know, you're early in the season, trying to figure out the new offense, sans A.J. Brown. Um, you know, Traylon Burks very early, only played two games before this, if he even plays immediately, like just depending on how all that plays out. Um, this could go either way, and the Raiders are a more put-together uh, team that have been with each other. Uh, you don't have as much movement. And, um, yeah, I mean, but if you can pull out that game, that's a big one for you. Uh, week four at Indianapolis – we talked about the Colts. I think they're a much better team in my opinion. Um, but if you can win that, like your biggest competition for winning the division is going to be Indianapolis. So if you can hopefully win your home matchup against Indianapolis, and then if you can go into Indy and manage to win that game instantly, your chances of winning the division uh, or getting into the playoffs at the very least are much higher. Um, and then week 12, versus the Cincinnati Bengals at home. It's a home game there against a tough opponent. Um, but uh, another one that I think, you know, kind of throw it up in the air. I think the Bengals are a more solid roster and they got better from last year, in my opinion. But again, it just depends on how well this Titans team is playing. That could be a matchup where maybe they can steal a win. Um, and then week 17 versus Dallas Cowboys at home, kind of the same thing as the Bengals, except I view the Cowboys as a worse team than the Bengals. Um, but if you can sneak that, it's a home game, um, you know, that will help you out for sure. And then finally, I just have, don't drop the easy games. Uh, in this tough schedule, you talked about facing a lot of those really good quarterbacks. The good or the like lesser quarterbacks that you're going to be facing are in division when you talk about uh, Jacksonville and Houston. Um, and then, you know, I guess maybe the Eagles and Washington, like those are, oh, and then the Giants. That's pretty much like the only breaks you're getting from the quarterbacks. And I really like Jalen Hurts, but I, I'm willing to admit, at least right now, he's not one of like the guys, you know what I mean? Like one of those top, top guys. Um, and so those are really the only games you're going to get a chance to, uh, 
get some wins against a team that isn't killing you with a star quarterback necessarily. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those are – if you want to go anywhere with this Titans team, you have to take those games, like non-negotiable. Um, so my record prediction for the Titans is going to be 9-8 and eight based off uh, what we went through earlier. Uh, but talking about those key games, depending on how, how those and some of these other games fall, I could see them potentially getting 12-5. and five. Uh, How do you feel about the Titans, Enrique? Uh, well, first of all, I think you did an awesome job breaking them down. Secondly, uh, I feel I, I still feel the same way about the Titans. I'm still left with a negative taste in my mouth about them. Honestly, I was even going to tell you this when you were breaking down the schedule. For some reason, that Commanders game, dog, like I don't think they beat them. I don't know why. Could be, but I I, I don't think they beat the Commanders. Um. And I have no clue why. I don't know if I'm just, like, feeling the spirit of Carson Wentz flow through my body right now. But um, I just don't – I think they're going to have a hard time with the commanders. And I, I'm not sure if it's because, um, you know, their defense is so good or should be very good this year. Um, obviously, Chase Young is coming off that injury. Uh, so, you know, that's going to remain to be seen, how that affects him. But the rest of their defense should be really good. Um you know, they, they added that um, wide receiver in the first round this year. They already had Scary Terry. Um, Carson Wentz might be coming for the revenge season. Um, so, I don't know. I just think the commanders could be could put up a bigger fight towards the Titans than um, previously expected. Um, but otherwise, I, I think that, yeah, you hit it dead on in regards to it's almost the exact – it's almost the exact opposite of the Colts in a lot of ways because it just like you said with the AJ Brown move hindering uh, King Henry, uh, King Henry's also coming off uh, an injury uh, that sidelined him most of the year last year. Yeah. Um, so you're not really helping. And obviously Derrick Henry is a God among men's, uh, but eventually he is going to, you know, like slow down father time um, always wins. Uh, unfortunately, but um, eventually he is going to start breaking down a little bit. And then you start to wonder, well, you know, he just had that big injury. He's going to be asked to obviously carry the offense this year as well. And now he doesn't even have his running mate, um, you know, and because I, I think you're exactly right. I thought it was surprising to let go of um, Deonta Foreman because I thought he filled in for Derrick Henry and, Low key runs a very similar style to him, very violent uh, running back. Yeah. Um, and so letting him go, um, although they feel good about the fourth round pick, um, I thought that was questionable. AJ Brown. And then, I mean, the corners are a very big weakness uh, for the Titans. Um, and, you know, when you were going through them, um, obviously I love, I love Roger McCreary, um, but. Tell me who who's gonna cover Devontae, dog? Like, yeah, who's gonna? Adams? Nobody no in that room. Yeah, nobody in that room. Nobody in that room. Who's gonna cover Jamar Chase? Who's gonna cover AJ Brown? Um, who's gonna cover? Yeah, because now you gotta you, now you have to play the guy that you just traded. Yeah. Now you have to play that. Um, who's gonna cover? You know, they, they're just so like. I mean, Keenan Allen. Um, you got C.D. Lamb on the schedule. You got, you know, 
Yeah, they don't play Arizona. Um, yeah, okay, yeah, because I was going to say you got DeAndre Hopkins, but it looks like they don't play Arizona this year. Um, you got Jerry Judy um, with the Broncos. You just have so many so many things, uh, like wide receivers, that you have to play this year against a, a, a cornerback group that – Honestly, he's just lacking the guys, um, you know, because those are guys that still have to develop. And I saw that last year with the Jets, you know, Bryce Hall, great corner, did his best. Um, you know, you have uh, Michael Carter, who also, you know, young corner played his best as well. But there's just certain disadvantages of being young and have, not having the NFL experience that you can't make up with. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's certain things that the Titans are going to have to overcome to have a good year. Um, I think honestly, I think it's a, like an eight and eight year for the Titans. Um, yeah. Their schedule's so tough, dude. It's and like, yeah, if they drop, um, if they drop some of those easy games, it, it it's even harder, you know. Um, and like, I don't think the Eagles are for sure dub. Um, you know, the Jaguars could be tougher than we expect because. Um, Honestly, the Jaguars were a tough team for me to break down um, when I was doing the Colts as well because I could see them being relatively sneaky good. Um, right. You know, because I mean, after you broke them down last year or last week, last year, um, last week, you kind of start to think you're like, well, you know, the Jaguars are up and coming. Um, if Trevor Lawrence takes a huge step forward, um, you know, if Walker's, uh, you know, worth that first overall pick. Um, you know, their defense could be decent. Offense could be decent. Um, you know, I could see them possibly beating the Titans for sure. Um, and if I'm being honest with you, I'm left with, uh, after you breaking down both those teams, I, I have more hope for the Jaguars than I do for the Titans. And I feel like if there's any Tennessee fans listening to this, they're just going to hate me because I, I'm like just literally talking about how negative, like, the Titans are with Tannehill sucks and Derrick Henry's getting old and no AJ Brown, but it's, it's um, honesty. I mean, just, yeah, it's, it's just tough to see the positivity uh, in Tennessee right now, and especially after seeing, cause um, I watched the videos of Traylon Burks um, in camp and uh, you know, for a guy that's broke down Traylon Burks um, when we were doing the pre-draft coverage, cause the Jets fans were eating him up. Um, he really is a developmental guy that honestly would really have benefited uh, learning from a guy like A.J. Brown. Um, but now he's thrust into the spotlight um, of replacing him. And, yeah, it's not like he has, like, Russell Wilson throwing him the ball. He's got Ryan Tannehill. So it's going to be rough. Um, yeah, so that's why, like, overall, I don't know. I just feel like um, – I feel like the Titans could be a good team – um, I just I really feel like they have took in some uh, some steps back um, this offseason. Um, I but actually real quick before we end on the Titans, I like their draft class more after looking at it than I initially thought I did, um, because like so you got Traylon Burks, which, you know, if he develops great, he could be a great wide receiver. Roger McCreary, I love uh Nicholas Petit Foray, love. Uh, Malik Willis, love. Hasin Haskins, love. Uh, the tight end, which I'm not going to try to say his name, love. Kyle Phillips, love. Theo Jackson and Chance Campbell, I thought were guys that, um, you know, could sneak higher than 
they did um, as far as falling to the sixth round. But, yeah, I, I'm not, like, hating this um, draft class. But the thing is, is I feel like this is a draft class that needs to develop a bit. I think, yeah. honestly, the most pro-ready uh, player is probably Roger McCreary. Um, I feel like everyone else really just needs time to – Maybe uh, him and Haskins. Um, I feel like everyone else really needs time to develop and simmer a little bit, um, kind of learn the game as far as on the pro level. Um, but I mean, if you ask me about the tie-ins in three years, uh, I, I'm going to have a lot more positive things to say because I think by then Malik Willis and Traylon Burks and uh, Petit Foray will have developed, uh, you know, um, their tight end, uh, whatever, however you say his name, again, not going to try to say it. Um, but I think all these guys will have developed in a, in a couple of years, and the future will look very bright in Tennessee. But as far as today, you know, I think um, I think eight and eight is on the horizon. Uh, possible squeak out 10, 11 wins. Um, but, yeah, just don't drop the easy games and hope that Tannehill and um, – Traylon Burks can form that connection uh, right away, you know, but uh, if I was a betting man, I'd bet the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's a ton of great thoughts that you bring up there, uh, especially with the draft class. Totally did not pay enough attention to that because I totally agree with you. I think it was a really on paper, a really good class um, and totally agree that a lot of those guys are going to be more developmental um, and I do think the Titans have enough of a roster there that a lot of those guys are behind others on the depth chart and will get that time to develop. When you talk about Malik Willis, uh, Petit Frare, um, you know, Kyle Phillips. I mean, Kyle Phillips, I think probably I would add to the list of um, I think he's going to be fairly pro ready um, because just because he's a smart dude, I think he's going to come on quick. Um, but, you know, we'll just have to see how that goes. Um, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with your assessment there. Uh, and I agree with everything you were talking about with the Titans. And um, yeah, I mean, really interesting division. Loved talking about the AFC South. This is the division that honestly, um, you know, I have my general familiarity, but, and we've talked about this a little bit on air, a little bit off air. Um, I'm really so far enjoying going through these teams because it, it's uh, getting more of an in-depth look at, you know, you kind of thought you had, a certain idea about a lot of things on the roster. And um, when you fully go through it, break it down, especially with their new additions, look at what they're going to be and um, rather than what they were last year. And uh, it, it's really, really interesting. And uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying this so far. And uh, the AFC South was a ton of fun to cover. Um, but I, I think that, uh, you know, this is my favorite uh, with the two teams, like the Colts and uh, the Titans were uh, both really fun teams to break down. Yeah, I loved it so far. Um, uh, and then even more so, just breaking down the Titans and the Colts have got me uh, looking forward to breaking down, you know, a lot more teams. Like, I was looking at that schedule and, like, the Bengals, you already know I have a love affair with Joe Burrow. So, yeah. uh, you know, like, I, I, I have to already claim that I get to cover the Bengals. Um, that whole because, AFC North, though. Yeah, well, and then not only that, but, like, you get to – you get to cover the Ravens and the yeah, Ravens are yeah. an exciting team to talk about too. Um, so 
we'll definitely have to do like the Browns and the Steelers, and then we'll do the Bengals and the Ravens um, for the most hyped episode ever. Um, because yeah, I just, one, I love talking ball with you. I've always loved talking ball with you, but getting an extended look, um, and really, uh, uh, taking a deep dive into these teams has got me, um, wondering what's going to happen in the NFL season. Um, especially cause I mean, you said that you just said that you thought, um, who did you say was better than the Cowboys? Um, did you say the, was it the Bengals that you thought were better than the Cowboys? Yeah, I think it was the Bengals. Okay, well, that's for sure. I, I thought you said it was like – I want to say I thought you said it was uh, a different team. Um, but, yeah, like I think the Cowboys are a talented team. But, yeah, it's going to be real nice to um, just take a deep dive into all these teams, see where they're coming out, and then hopefully as the season, you know, gets closer and as, as it actually is going, um, we'll be able to look back on this and say like, okay, well, just like we did the Eagles, just like we did the Eagles. Um, you know, if we called it or didn't call it, um, which we, we can go back and listen. Everybody can go back and listen. We called it on the Eagles. Said they needed a defensive tackle. Said they needed a wide receiver. Said they need a corner. They went and did it. If the Eagles win a ball, it's because of me and Ryan. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree, I couldn't agree more with you. And, um, yeah, this has been a super fun process, and I'm really looking forward to going through the rest of the NFL. Um, yeah, I mean – all 32 teams is like sounds a little daunting, um, but I'm really honestly excited uh, to keep getting into these teams. And uh, I think we got a lot of fun ahead of us. Um, so, yeah, I mean, with that, uh, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA playoffs here, uh, moving into the conference finals. And so uh, to cover a little bit uh, in those last two series that were still going uh, well in our last episode, and they had both had one game left. Uh, the Mavs versus the Suns. The Mavs win this series four to three. That game seven, wow. I mean, it's all anyone was talking about for a few days uh, in the NBA sphere. You know what I mean? And um, the Suns just 100% collapsing from top to bottom. Um, you know, you talk about the first half. I think booker and uh cp3 combined for it was something ridiculously like low like three or six points like it was like almost nothing um and they were both having really bad games uh they were able to get a little bit more going in the second half but overall the suns team just came out completely flat the mavs didn't come out completely flat uh and this ended in like a 20 point um uh you know blowout for the mavs I'm um, an embarrassing, embarrassing game for the Suns. Yeah, I mean, no one I, – I was – yeah, I love Luka. I love the Mavs. I, I love them even more now. No one yeah. could have expected um, for the Suns to come out like that in a game seven. I, yeah. I mean, literally, it's literally game seven. Um, I thought this was going to be one of the more exciting game sevens in literally um, NBA history. I thought, like – the way Luca and D Book have been playing, um, the the small budding rivalry that I see growing, uh, but Luca put that put that way out of anyone's mind. I mean, the Mavs came out and blew them out. They were ahead most of the game by a very large margin. Uh, I'm talking like 20, 30 points at certain times. Um, yeah. The Mavericks looked absolutely unstoppable. And then an amazing stat line uh, from the series itself was in the throughout the whole series. Luca outscored Devin Booker. Um, 
he out-rebounded DeAndre Ayton, um, had more assists than CP3, and, you know, had more uh, steals than uh, Mikael Bridges. So, you know, Luca literally did everything better than the guy that they have that did that really better. You know, like, Luca really put the team on his back and won the series for him. And, um, yeah, I couldn't be more proud. Uh, I, I haven't felt this way about an NBA player since, like, Loki watching LeBron play when like because I've followed LeBron since he got drafted in the league, um, you know, because I was like a kid at the time. So watching LeBron like get into the league and go to where he's at now has been amazing. And obviously we're closer to the end of the LeBron James story than we are to the beginning. Uh, but this is Luca's fourth year. Um, you know, obviously he has to play the Warriors um, and, you know, we'll get to that in just a second. But, um, yeah, I love watching Luca play, and I, I love this series for him because this is, like, one of those series that cements your legacy because people are going to talk about this when Luca took over and beat the Suns, you know? And, yeah. And then on the other side for Devin Booker, they're going to talk about it, and even more so for um, – I mean, I can't even call him CP3 anymore. You know, we have to call him Christopher because – Christopher Paul, yeah. Like, because he just – that was such a such an owl such an L like a very big defining L and um in in Christopher's career because I'm telling you he's Christopher until he (laughs) redeems himself for me he just is Christopher he just we just he's Christopher I I, okay I gotta tell you I love that and I'm going to steal that and uh tell that to one of my son son's fans friends um because they're gonna absolutely hate it uh and yeah I mean that's fantastic Christopher Paul um, but yeah, I mean, you're totally right. I think yes for Devin Booker, but he's 25. He's got a lot of basketball left in him and time to turn the narrative around. I do think, like you said, it's in terms of specifically the, um, Booker versus, uh, um, oh my God, Luca, uh, kind of like, uh, you know, rivalry. I think that Luca just kind of, he was like, what rivalry, what are you talking about? Um, and so, I mean, for that sense, I think that, that like, I don't, I don't want to say the book is closed, but I think Luca kind of scoffed at the idea that that's a, a, a that they're like on the same level almost, you know what I mean? Right. And I mean, you know, when you talk about the LeBron comparisons, that's the type of stuff that those, you know, above tier, like just like superstar players do. And they almost get a lot of them get motivation from that. I mean, you talk about like the Michael Jordan mentality. Um, it's like you're gonna put your name in the same ring as me. Excuse me, you know what I mean? Uh, and I love that. You could tell that Luca was like, you know, he was into that series and he wanted to beat the Suns, um, not only just to win, but there it was kind of personal. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I can't say enough about the Mavs can't say enough about Luca and, you know, I got to make sure that we're accountable on the show and say that, uh, I've been doubting the Mavericks this entire time. I'm pretty sure I've picked against them in every series they've been in, um, and think that they're the weaker team, but not only has Luca stepped up and been Luca, um, his teammates have been fantastic. You talk about Spencer Dinwiddie talk about like Finney Smith, you talk about uh, Brunson, Bullock, all had good series, Bertans, Trey Burke, like everybody's been out there. Everybody's been doing their thing. Lucas, I think Lucas energy is infectious and he's leading this team. 
Um, and yeah, I mean, like I said, I just can't say enough. Um, you know, we'll get to the uh, Warriors in that series. And I think that that's uh, potentially going to be a different story. There's already been two games in that series played, uh, but at least so far enough cannot be said about the Mavs uh, playoff run so far. And uh, this has been uh, a defining moment for uh, CP3's career, for Booker's career, and especially for Luca's career. I think this is a, um, you know, he was already very much on the map, but I think that he's like finally pushing through to that, like, it's hard to not consider him in the top five conversation. You know what I mean? For sure. Oh, Luca, top five NBA. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Luca's Luca's the like, best player in the NBA. I ooh. I Luka, mean, he's Luka, in the conversation. Between Luca and Giannis. Like, like yeah, he, he's in the conversation, but I don't know if I'd go that far yet. But I think he will get there. And I mean you said you like you said, he's only in his what fourth year? Yeah, like yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm full. I'm, yeah. I said it. We're on the air. This is gonna go to the podcast. Podcast is gonna go out. It's gonna be heard by uh, number one, yeah, our, our our loyal listeners uh, all over the world. Uh, and thank you all for listening so much. We great, so so appreciate it. You have no idea. Shout um, out Belgium and France. Absolutely love you guys. Not 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 especially. We love everybody equally. Well, but, exactly. Uh, specifically Belgium and France. That's really cool. <laughs> Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a young brown dude from Denver, Colorado. So the fact that my voice has been heard in Belgium and France is very humbling and very awesome, especially I get to do it with one of my best friends, uh, and, uh, you know, Ryan, um, but yeah, for sure. With all that being said, definitely going on the air and saying that Luka Doncic is the best player in the NBA right now, for sure. Between him and Giannis. And all I'm going to say is. Only one of them still in the playoffs. I'm just saying. 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 I mean, yeah, I mean, that's fair. I mean, but at the same time, you also have Jason Tatum, who's establishing himself as, uh, if I mean, certainly top 10. I don't think there's discussion there, but pushing top five um, yeah. for sure. And he's, he's on another level right now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's just so many – talented talented uh superstar type players in this league right now i mean we haven't even talked about Jokic. i haven't even defended my guy yet you know like i'm like uh but there's so many players to talk about um Doncic is just putting himself in that kind con- of like shoving himself in that conversation right now and he's saying like oh you guys are talking about all these other players look at me like run my way through the playoffs against on paper superior teams um, and make it to the conference finals. You know what I mean? Like just, yeah, I mean, can't say enough, uh, but I, to move on to our next series and speaking of Giannis and uh, uh, Jason Tatum there Celtics versus Bucks Celtics winning that series four three. Um, you know, I think uh, I believe we both predicted the Celtics to win the series last week. Um, yeah. And I think we're both on the same page there. The Celtics, have another gear this year. They seem like a very complete team on paper and in practice. And they finally found their connection with each other throughout the season um, that they've been looking for the last few seasons, to be honest with you. Um, and yeah, I mean, just, just enough to overpower the bucks and Giannis Giannis tried his darndest, but Jason Tatum in both game six in Milwaukee to force a game seven, which is the real highlight of the series 
uh, Jason Tatum going off in an away game, forcing a game seven um, against Giannis, against somebody who we've seen be that dominating, overpowering force and saying, no, I'm winning today. And Jason Tatum, like we said, is putting himself in that conversation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and then winning that game seven convincingly, this was another blowout. It was like a 15 to 20 point game um, by the end of it. And um, yeah, I mean, can't say enough about the Celtics. Uh, I think we would have been fine with either of these teams going through, but the Celtics uh, continue to uh, roll, even if they've started to uh, face some adversity here. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we definitely did both pick the Celtics to win. Um, and I hated to pick against my boy Giannis like that. And I probably, if I'm being honest with you, and we'll get to it right when we get to the conference finals, uh, probably can't do that against Giannis again. Um, it, it hurt my heart to do it. It really did. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, just like you said, Boston really has had uh, that extra gear this year. They really have been a complete team. Um, you know, can't say enough about Jason Tatum. Can't say enough about Marcus Smart. Um, you know, Jalen Brown. Everybody's just really – the the aspect of team ball uh, that Boston is playing right now is 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 only rivaled by the guys they're playing in the conference finals, and uh, that's the Miami Heat. So um, shout out to Giannis and the Bucks uh, for making it to the playoffs again. Obviously, you know they already won that they already won that chip. Um, so you know Giannis got his ring, and uh, yeah, we'll just. Give it to Giannis next year, uh, you know, better luck next year. And, yeah, moving on to the conference finals, though, um, the Heat versus the Celtics and the Mavs versus the Warriors. Um, obviously, the Heat – I think the Heat played the Celtics tonight in game two. And then uh, uh, the Warriors um, just beat the Mavs last night to go two, uh, two up on the Mavs. Uh, but, yeah, Ryan, what do you think about the – the Mavs and the Warriors uh, series so far. Yeah, dude. I mean, so, I mean, like you said, the Mavs, uh, you know, losing the series so far, two to zero. Uh, game one, the Warriors won in convincing fashion. And then game two, uh, the Mavs were up at one point, I believe almost 20 points. It was like 18 or something like that. Um, yeah. And the Warriors come back and erase that deficit and then end up winning by over 10. Um, so that's a series defining game right there. You know what I mean? That's a morale crushing, like what just happened type of game. Um, so I think from here on out, you have to see where the Mavs are at. Did they come out in game three uh, and then deliver a punch back and make it two one? Um, and if they go down three to zero, I think that this series is over. Um, and I hate to, you know, talk up Luca all that we just did and then turn around and say that they're very close to losing this series already. But um, with the first two games, that's kind of the reality of it, unless they come out and uh, win this game three. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's uh, like, I, I really, after the um, semifinals, I was expecting this to be kind of head to head and Luca trying to do his thing and there's still time for that, but uh, the Warriors just are, rolling right now um and they don't even look faced they're playing the exact same basketball they've been playing against every single team and uh, i mean the warriors i keep I, you know i'm a little salty because you know they got rid of the nuggets but i keep doubting them too and saying like oh they're not as good as you know everybody's saying or whatever but 
they're rolling and they faced their struggles and they went past them. And I mean, like I said, that like, they're almost unfazed. Like even when they do lose games, they're just like, okay, and go win another one. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I do have to agree. Um, although I also hate the warriors. So, okay. So with both, with both these teams, with Boston and, uh, and the Celtics, um, I, or with Boston and the Celtics, with the Warriors and the Celtics, I've um, I've been like very nice up until this point, but from here on out, I am thoroughly rooting for those teams to lose. Like yeah. I hate Boston, um, I hate the Celtics, I hate the Red Sox, and I absolutely hate the New England Patriots. Um, so I, the fact that I was being nice about it before. Um, is an ode to how good Jason Tatum and the Celtics are playing. And the same thing with the Warriors. Um, I have been saying, you know, like when the Warriors are on, dude, they're impossible to stop. Like we saw that yeah. in the Nuggets series. We saw that um, w- w- uh, when they played the Grizzlies. Like when the Warriors are on, they are impossible to stop. Like they had, you know, Ja gave them that nice little, you know, 49-point win and, you know, took the game. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. Next game came, erased that. Ja ended up finishing the series hurt. Um, Grizz got blown out. Didn't even matter. Same thing here. Luca came out. Flu game Luca. I was literally watching this game last night. And all I was saying was flu game Luca. Flu game Luca. Like Luca was up all night battling illness. You know, um, I thought finally, like, the Warriors are going to go down. Luca's going to look good doing it. The maps were up. Um, the map and like low key, the maps were on like a like an eighteen to three uh, run out uh, in the beginning of the game. Like it was, it was getting kind of nice. Uh, and then Golden State started coming back, and then they came back, and then they're ahead, and then the maps got ahead, and then Golden State got ahead and stayed ahead the rest of the game, and they just looked dominant doing it. And it's really hard for me to think that we're gonna get anything else from the Warriors. Uh, for the rest of the playoffs. Um, I mean, I honestly, the, luckily the two East teams that are playing Miami and Boston uh, are so good at defense and so good at playing team ball. Um, hopefully they can answer to the Warriors, but yeah, it, the truth is what the truth is. If the Mavs don't come out and literally play like their lives are depending on it in game three, the series is over. Like, even if they squeak a, a win out, this series is over. They have to win this game three, and then they have to just try to hold on and try to come back from the series. Um, but it's going to be real hard because the Warriors are so good. Um, but, God, do I hate the Warriors. And I, just want, I just want Luka to win so bad. But, yeah, just because Luka's a fan favorite and one of our favorites, you, the reality is inevitable sometimes. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be uh, an interesting uh, series to see how it ended up playing out. And uh, you hope that the Mavs can pull it out and make it interesting here. Uh, because otherwise, honestly, this has been an interesting playoffs because like it has been very entertaining in the sense that there's a lot of parody and then there's been some upsets. But also it's interesting because like a very I would be almost interested to see like a breakdown like percentages of how many like what percentage of these playoff games have been blowouts because I'd be willing to bet it's over 50 percent 
like at least you know what i mean there's been a yeah. lot of blowouts and not as many like really tight playoff games this playoffs which i find interesting um and even when as we go in you'd think as we get higher and higher in the um uh you know on the uh playoff bracket, bracket there and uh get closer to these super talented teams facing each other that like it would start to close in uh but then you look at both these uh warriors games versus the mavs and then game one of heat versus celtics they're blowouts and you're like okay but um yeah i mean not necessarily the worst thing in the world but just kind of an interesting note and uh yeah i mean so speaking of that heat versus celtic series like this is um like so i'm rooting for the heat because i really like jimmy butler and uh like this is going to be a really interesting series um the oh wait i'm sorry we have i put on here the heat lead one zero it's actually the celtics leading one zero in the series and um yeah like the heat need to play their asses off if they want to win this uh both the heat and the celtics are very put together um you know teams as a whole and like you said they play good team ball like they're very um like rather than relying on one or two pieces they're very cohesive uh in terms of like the landscape of the nba uh they're i would say they're honestly like the top two in that kind of um you know if you're going to classify it as like the most teamy teams i would say (laughs) like the heat and the celtics are like the most cohesive full rosters together that have their roles. Uh, I mean, you can talk, uh, listen to like Jimmy Butler talk about why he likes the heat so much. And he'll specifically say is like, everybody knows exactly what their role is. Everybody fits into the puzzle. They know what they're going to do. They know what they need to do. And then when everybody's firing on all cylinders, uh, they are a very, very powerful team and hard to beat. But the Celtics do that exact thing and they do it almost pretty much better right now, especially with Jason Tatum playing the way he is. Um, and so this is going to be a hard series for the Heat. Um, winnable, certainly. Um, but I do think, and we predicted last week too, uh, that uh, the Celtics probably end up taking this series uh, just because they're a overall better team. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a thousand percent um, rooting against the Celtics. I'm right there. <laughs> I, I, I can say a lot of nice things about the Celtics, but it would be so hard for me to deny that I am just 1,000% rooting for the Miami Heat. Um, love Jimmy, love Bam, love Tyler Hero. Um, they just, like, Victor Oladipo is on that team as well, who I always forget is on that team, and I feel so bad because he is a good player. Um, so, yeah, I'm definitely rooting for the Miami Heat to at least – Make it the series that I want it to be. Like, I want it to come down to game seven. I want it to be really tight, really entertaining every single game. But, I mean, first game, blowout, kind of hard to watch, um, especially because I thought this was going to be the most competitive series. Um, I still think it probably end up will being. At least I hope so. Um, but, yeah, Boston's playing really, really good. Um, they're not truly dominant in the sense of, like, uh, in the same way I see Golden State, I, I, it's hard for me to see anyone stopping Golden State. Um, and I, I think they'll probably end up winning the overall chip. 
Um, but if anyone's going to give them a run for their money, it's going to be Boston. Um, Boston plays really, really well. Um, Jason Tatum is playing on a different level. He's, you know, he's trying to make me take my words back on Luca being the best player in the NBA. Um, you know, and he, he really, he really is doing his damnedest because he's playing out of his mind. Um, Marcus Smart, I mean, was is undeniable is an undeniable defensive force. Like, I know he won Defensive Player of the Year, uh, very well deserved it. Um, but like his 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 importance to the Celtics is you can't even measure in the box score, like because you have to watch him and how he plays defense and how he frustrates these guys. Um, and let me tell you, I've watched highlights of the Miami Heat's defense. Uh, you know, there's so many games in basketball; it's hard for me to keep up with all of them, especially when I'm crying about the Lakers all year. Um, <laughs> but like the Miami Heat play defensive basketball, like they frustrate people. They, yeah. they swarm people. The Miami Heat are very, very good. Kyle Lowry's on that team as well, by the way. I forget about Kyle Lowry being on the team. But they swarm people and the Miami Heat play very good defensive basketball. Um, and Marcus Smart, like sometimes looks like the best defensive player on the court at some times. He just is so good at it, and he really is a difference maker. And, you know, and then you talk about Jason Tatum and everything that he's doing. And, um, yeah, it's just one of those things that I don't know. I don't – it looks like we're going to get a very, like, honestly, the NFL had one of the better Super Bowls with the Rams and the Bengals because like, you know, it was different teams. The Bengals were getting there as the underdog. Matthew Stafford had a lot of good storyline. The NBA finals, if the Warriors and the Celtics make it, are almost unwatchable for me. Like it's going to be yeah. good because it's going to be good basketball, but it's going to be like the two worst uh, fan uh, bases ever. Like, Ever like there's nothing more uh like cringy than Warrior fans that sometimes Boston fans can be so ruthless with talking about how many championships they've won that it's just gonna be really rough for me if those two teams make the finals. But it is gonna be entertaining basketball wise because the Warriors and the Celtics can play some ball. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm I'm on the same page there as like the basketball aspect of it, that is going to be, if that's what it ends up being, which I think we both think it is, unfortunately, uh, that's going to be a, a really, really good series. Uh, honestly, I, I like, I think the only way it's not is if the Celtics get there and because it's their first time with this core, they're still pretty young. They maybe yeah, because the Warriors have so much experience. Um, and I think that's the one thing that they really lack in that aspect of it. Um, and the only thing that could potentially come back to bite them, but otherwise that matchup is fantastic. Um, but I'm right there with you as like, you know, as a Nuggets and a um, Sixers fan, obviously I'm not a huge fan of the Celtics. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they've eliminated the Sixers from the playoffs too many times to count, uh, especially recently feels like, and then uh, the Warriors are the Warriors. Uh, and they've been at the top of the Western conference the past decade, and won enough championships already and I'm tired of it and I don't need it anymore, but you know, um, it'll be fun to watch as I'm like crying. 
Yeah. Like while I mean, I'm watching it, I gotta like wipe away my tears to see the basketball. Right. Well, and not only that, but it's just like really, really, like neither yeah. like really. We're just gonna do like Steph Curry said night night yesterday. I was I was on Instagram and I saw him shoot a three, hit it, and then he said night night and it's just like they're like oozing confidence and it's just like and even more so there's nothing more that i hate than someone that's just like oozing confidence like that but then they also can back it up like right because there's nothing to do against that you just like, like come on, on. <laughs> it's like okay you can talk a bunch of shit but i'm gonna play better basketball than me no we're gonna talk a bunch of shit and then we're gonna drop we're going to erase your 20 point deficit and then put 20 points on you. Like, like, come on, come on, come on. And I don't, yeah, we can, I'll, 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 I'll get into some terrible hate, hate talk. Um, and that would be a terrible thing to do for the, for the listeners. I won't do it. (laughs) Um, I've, I've already gone off. I've been so biased. Um, I think that's the one thing we do on the show. We stay relatively unbiased and we, you know, uh, minus against the Patriots because nope. But um, yeah, today, today I was just, I was going off on, on my hate for Boston and the Warriors. I'll try to limit that going forward. <laughs> hey man, listen, I like, we're certainly not unbiased when it comes to the Broncos and the Jets. I'll say that much, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you and like, they're so good that like you got to take some slander here and there. You know what I mean? That's just what happens when you're that good. It's your fault for being that good. So it's, right. you know, we just got to throw a little bit of slander your way. It's a natural uh, human thing, I guess. But um, yeah, I mean, like you said, I'm not going to be hugely uh, happy about either the Celtics or the Warriors winning finals. Um, but on the flip side of that, if the heat can pull this out, um, I think I would really love to see Jimmy Butler win his first championship. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to have to make it past those uh, really good playing Celtics right now uh, on an absolute role. So we'll have to see what happens in those series, but um, yeah, still a lot of great basketball to be played. Um, and uh, you know, hoping that uh, the inevitable doesn't happen with the Warriors and the Celtics, but I guess with that, uh, that'll do it for us today. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been the Mile High Flight Show, and we will see you guys next week. Awesome. Thank you, guys. And once again, thoughts and prayers to everybody out in the Buffalo tragedy. Uh, You hate to hear it, and we'll see you guys next week. Thank you again. Absolutely.